intro every week. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final Forgotten Movies uh, version of or edition of this podcast. It's the Movie Change Up podcast. I'm Joe Fricky. Uh, here to host and judge these seven movies. Uh, we also have my co-host here, Tristan. Tristan, introduce yourself. How you feeling? What are you thinking? We got some good movies lined up. We do. We got some very interesting movies lined up today. Like you said, it is the finale of our season here of the Forgotten Movies. It's going to be a nice little uh, ending of things before we get started on season two. So I want to get excited for that, get prepped for season two. You know, I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm dressed up today. I'm ready. I'm ready to come here, be professional. You know, I'm not here to play games anymore. I'm here to win. I'm here to come here and I'm here to teach you guys why you're wrong every time. You know, this is not a game anymore. This is me coming here to teach you why you're wrong and I'm right. So every single time, I better win. Every movie, I'm my, my movie's always better than your movie. So if you don't vote for me, you're wrong. I'm you're proving that wrong in season two. What is this? <laughs> you're not even... I'm just getting you guys ready. Season two is coming, and you guys better be ready. We're, we're clipping this out, and we're clipping it out, and he's just going to be his promo for next week. Yeah, <laughs> All right. yeah you're ready. Here we go. All right, yeah, and uh, so, like you said, it's the finale of the Forgotten Movies edition. We got two people who are 2-0 and in this division. Uh, first up, we got Bobby. Bobby, how you feeling? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Feeling pretty good. I mean, like you said, 2-0. Johnny's also 2-0 in this. Um, it's been a really interesting series coming up with movies that not a lot of people know about. Um, it took me a little while to get my pitches down, but I think I came up with something that can compete with Johnny, who's usually pretty pretty good, pretty argumentative for sure. Uh, his opinions are usually facts, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll dispute Always. that. I'll dispute that. So I'm looking looking forward to it. All right, yeah, Johnny. Same question. You're two and zero. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Are you going to come out three and zero out of this? You're goddamn right. I'm Johnny Dupe. You know, I've only I haven't lost an episode of this show since the first ever episode, and that was before we even established how the show really ran and how it worked. So ever since then, whether it's forgotten movies or anything else, I'm undefeated, and I plan to stay that way. I'm going to crush Bobby like a grape, just like Tristan saying up there in his you know suit and tie. I always pitch better movies and if the judges pick the other person that's fine they're wrong but you know i always power through and win in the end and i plan on doing that again today all right awesome all right let me let me read down our movies list uh we have despite all my rage from 2002 the dupe from 1993 from austin with love from 2001 gelda's fear rising the age of the gnome prince from 2011 in the Cold of the Day from 1970, Link Skywalker from 2003, off the and off the track from 1991. And uh, Tristan, do you got the rules ready to read off? I do. I've got the rules right here. So, like he said, uh, you got to apply these seven rules to the seven movies he just pitched. So, the first rule on the list here is one must star Vin Diesel. One must have a twist ending. One must be a movie only you will like. If you want to check out our taste, we just did a top 20 list of the decade, so you can go back and, and have a cheat sheet there. Uh, one must be cast as a 1980s movie. One must include a character made famous by Harrison Ford. You must resurrect an actor's career for one. Very controversial uh, rule right there. <laughs> just for Tristan. <laughs> you must include a Nick Saban cameo. 
Not the Power Rangers, yeah. <laughs> you can tell where my mind went. Yeah. Um, all right. But yeah. Also, uh, before we get started, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, like, like our video, like our channel, subscribe, hit that bell so you get notifications when we post another video. Uh, if you're watching us on a podcast app, you know, like, subscribe, do all that. Either or, just whatever. However you view us, subscribe to us, like our content. Also, we just opened up an Instagram page. Follow us at Movie Changeup. That's all one word. Uh, probably should have wrote that down so I could put it on the screen, but didn't think about it until just now. Uh, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all at Movie Change Up. Uh, when we start season two, we're going to start posting a lot more content on there, trying to spread the word, trying to get more viewers. So instead of having three viewers, which we have right now, we want to have 3,000 viewers. So Please come on to TikTok and tell me what dance me and, jo- uh, me and Joey have to do, because I really want us to have to do a dance on TikTok. Hey, if it'll get us 3,000 viewers, I will do a dance on TikTok. And now we have one viewer. So Oh, God. They, they heard TikTok dance, and they yeah, were like, oh, God, we're out. All right. But before we went live, we had a little competition to see who would uh, go first. And, uh, Johnny, you won that competition. Uh, what movie are we doing, and who's going first? We're going to start with one I, I wasn't expecting to want to start with, but we're going to go with Gildesivir Rising, The Age of the Gnome Prince. And uh, I'm actually going to go second on this. I'm going to Bobby start. All right, Galdas, if you're rising, the age of the Gnome Prince from 2011. It got a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes and was directed by Christopher Columbus, uh, who directed the Home Alone movies, directed uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. And the peaceful life of the Vron Kingdom is harshly interrupted when their serene garden world is invaded by the terrifying magic of the Galdasphere, threatening peace with the nearby Rogans and Zindels. So, Bobby, what is your pitch for this movie? All right, so because it'll be pretty obvious once I even say my cast, um, I made this a 1980s movie. Uh, And the reason I did it is not necessarily because I wanted certain actors to voice it, but it's because I want the style of the animated movies from the 80s and the 2D animation instead of now. Uh, And for that reason, I got director Don Bluth, who did uh, Secret of Nim. So kind of a creepy, dark uh, fantasy animated movie, and that's kind of where I want to go with this. Um, so my characters, so my two frogs, I have Karu, played by Emilio Estevez, and his son Zell, uh, voiced by River Phoenix. Gelda Severe is voiced by Jack Nicholson. Um, my two, two of the characters from the other kind of villages that they go get, uh, the Rogan is, is going to be voiced by Judd Nelson, and the Zell is going to be voiced by Sigourney Weaver. So my story, uh, Karu, Mara, and their son Zell live in the peaceful frog kingdom. This is harshly interrupted when they are invaded by Geldasavir, a creature with great magic. During the initial raid, Mara is tragically killed. So like most Disney movies, we have a parent dying. Uh, Kara and Zell travel to the nearby village of the Rogans and Zimdels to recruit a team to fight back. It kind of goes into, it's an animated kind of retelling in a little bit of way of Seven Samurai and and, uh, those type of stories, uh, Magnificent Seven. Uh, so we have recruiting team from the different villages and training. So the great warrior uh, Rogan is played by Judd Nelson. He's going to be kind of the warrior teaching this whole group how to come and fight back to take back the town that they or the village that was taken over by um, Gildesivir, which I always have to look back down at that name. Um, but yeah, so we it, I'm not going to get too much into it. We all know kind of the plot of uh, Magnificent Seven um, and 
uh, and that. So we have a trait. It's but it tells a good story of the young son Zell kind of overcoming his uh, his mom dying and getting through that with a single dad, uh, as well as training to become more confident as a kid to be able to fight back and take back that. So it, give, it gives a good story for kids to build their confidence. Um, it has some some dark, cool elements, and it has a good uh, kind of visual style in the in the way of Secret of Nim. So I like that. So that's where I'm going. All right. Cool. I like uh, that. Interesting to take some notes from the books, but not all of the all of the plot. You know, just some of the themes. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely some of that. Uh, Johnny, what is your pitch for Galdesivir Rising: The Age of the Gnome Prince? All right, so this shit sucks, and Bobby sounds like shit. So there's only one way I felt like I could go with this. My director is James Bobin. Um, he's probably most famous for the Muppet movies, but I don't give a shit about the Muppet movies because this movie is a movie only I would want to see. And James Bobin, famous for directing uh, most of the episodes of Flight of the Concords. So here is my pitch. Um, <laughs> starring Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie, the two-man band, uh, two band Flight of the Concords gets their big break in New Zealand getting cast in a movie called Gildesafir Rising, The Age of the Gnome Prince. This could be their way back to America. The problem is they have absolutely no idea what the movie is about because the entire script is basically gibberish with words like Rogans and Zimdels. They also suspect the director, Brevin Singler, played by Taika Waititi, and the star actor playing the villain, Kyle Pacey, played by Matt Berry, to be child sex traffickers. So there's my pitch. It's a movie only I would want to see. And don't fucking argue with me that it's not, because this pitch sounds familiar, and I lost already using it because it wasn't this rule. So, boom, this is the only way you can make this fucking super shit movie work. It's like that fucking Lord Delacour movie or whatever the hell that was the other week. Yeah, he so, pitched so well. Broke his mic. Yeah. He was now yep. <laughs> hopefully hopefully now that you've calmed down we can hear you. <laughs> Have you not been able to hear me? No, well, you were, you what was that? Idea. We didn't hear you. What? What? Did you give your pitch All already? Right. Just ask your questions. We heard you, Johnny. It just got you got a little overexcited. Right, so my question for you is yeah. uh the Minox were a big part of the original movie and neither of you seem to include the Minox at all so my question is we both and I'll guess I'll start with uh, Bobby's where are the Minox so I included the Minox as one of like because you needed to add some characters for this magnificent seven type recruiting thing I added Minox as just another village that they go to to get some like some help and some warriors to to battle all right Minox Minox like you said in the original they're like big trolls so my idea for it is because, like, in this movie, all of the costumes are going to be very low budget and, and cheap. And it's going to be two guys in this big troll outfit that comes in and they sing a song about it. And it's really funny making fun of it because they don't know what the hell this thing is. All right. And uh, Tristan, do you have a question for them? Well, I do agree that uh, his movie sounded so bad that only he'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree, Johnny. Uh, but... So I can't really argue against the rule usage. That's definitely one of the more interesting uses of the rule. I can't, I can't argue against that. But I do want to say that, especially for you, one of the biggest roles of the last movie, of the original movie, was Nick Cage. He had a really uh, interesting forgotten uh, role in that. He, was very, he played kind of the wizard. They went out and they found him in the, 
in the forest. You guide them out to kind of the land of peace beyond the beyond the woods. And I wonder if you guys have any cameos with Nick Cage or any kind of cameo with because there is a big cast and Bobby I know has a big cast in his. But are you telling me? Johnny, that if you could, if it was a movie only you wanted to watch, you would not have Nick Cage in there. Are you saying Nick Cage is bad? Are you trying to attack Nick Cage on on this podcast right now? My thing is this: I, I had the idea of Nick Cage being the wizard and coming in, and then not really caring about the movie and wanting to join the band. But I think Nick Cage, like even a movie like Mandy, that is small. If I hear that Nick Cage is going to be in a movie, even if it's something that I might not necessarily be interested into originally, I'm going to check it out just for his performance. So I figured if I included Nick Cage in my movie, that would actually widen the appeal of it. And I wanted to stick specifically with a movie only I would want to see. I don't want it to be like this cult classic because, you know, Tristan, you've never seen Flight of the Concords, but you want to check out this crazy Nick Cage movie. So I didn't want him in my movie just for, for that reason alone. Um, but that's why I decided to include a few of the other aspects. All right, Bobby, do you have any cameos or crossover casting in your in your movie? So, because I made mine a, a 1980s movie, Nicolas Cage at that point was he was in some he was in movies at the time, but he wasn't like this big known for the big star and having his crazy moments and all that. So, I didn't think that would really fit in mine too much. But you know, it's a it's a voice cast, so it, I don't think it's going to take away from the movie. All right, and then. If Tristan, you don't have any more questions. I just have like two things I want them to think about while they make their point. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. And so basically my question for you, my thing for Bobby is your movie, basically, like you said, it's Magnificent Seven, but it's like a 1980s 2D animated movie set in a fantasy world, which sounds like a little generic to me. So like one thing to think about while you're debating is what makes your movie not like just kind of a generic thing. And then, Johnny, my thing for you is Goldess If You're Rising is like a kid's property. And your movie definitely sounds not like that at all. So I want to know like how you can title a movie this that's based on a kid's property, but then have things like child sex trafficking and like are you worried about lawsuits or any kind of problems like that? And, you know, and so that's what I want you both to kind of focus on while you debate. I'll start on that. First of all, what's better to teach children about than child sex trafficking? You should warn them at an early age. So sure, if kids check out the movie that I made that only I'm watching, whatever, like I don't give a fuck what this 10-year-old cares about my movie. But if he does see it, they'll learn important lessons about staying away from creepy old people. So, you know, I think those are lessons that, unlike Bobby's movie, are lessons that should be taught to kids and aren't taught to kids. Um, And Bobby's just has more of the same. So, yeah, but so you're taking a kid's movie and you're you're kind of doing a parody, but putting it like I know I know it's a movie only you would watch. But why is that? Why would this for one thing? Let's just get to the point. You you literally just copied and pasted your pitch from beforehand, which, yes, is funny. But at the same time, I don't think that is going to be alone. The, like the comedy of that is going to be winning the point. I mean, I get it. You made a movie only you want to watch. Sure. But it really does. Because which of that. Is what I got knocked for with this pitch yeah. by every single one of you so i said you know what the only movie that i can make that is a movie that i know for sure only i would want to see is a movie i've already been told only i want to see there are different aspects i took out even that so even even taika watiti was my director of the first time around which i thought would give it a wider appeal i took him out he's still uh, i'm an actor in mind but he's not 
we're not going to attach his name as the director. This is just a Flight of the Concords movie for the small sub subset of people that still care about Flight of the Concords. All right. I think awful. I've heard enough from both of you guys. I have one last yeah. question from Bobby, if you guys want. Wait a second. But Bobby hasn't even talked I about I haven't even movie. talked about my movie. Tristan, we haven't even argued. So hold on a second. Yeah. But um, so, Johnny, with your movie, for one thing, uh, I, I think if you're going to do this pitch and have it make sense and have it be a mo- only movie you want to watch, I think you would you would it would be better to be a property that you actually have more interest in. That's maybe for adults or like a, a like a Lord of the Rings type movie where this one is no. a kids thing. Why why would you want to see them kind of make fun of this kids thing that you may not have anything in? And then as far as my movie being a generic uh, a generic kind of thing, um, the the visual style of Secret of Nim is is really boring. No, it it does hold up, but um, you get a a retelling of a story that's classic and introducing it to kids and it might get them into kind of filmmaking for one thing. Um, And you get cool superpowers type magic going on, uh, which is a, which could be done really well in this style. Um, But the story itself is just such a classic tale that you can do it. Like they, they did it in the Mandalorian kind of twice and it worked. Um, It works every time they do it. Uh, in different mediums, in different uh, genres. And I think that it's just something that could stick well with kids because it is a simple story, but you have these cool characters, fantastical characters um, that will keep them interested and it might become a classic for anyone that watched it when they were younger. See, I I think with mine, if yours was a Miyazaki movie, sure, I could see it. Maybe it would stand up to the test of time and history. And I think the story actually would fit that because it deals with a lot of mystical characters and supernatural things. And I, I think if, if you're going to go the direction of animated, you should have went closer to like a spirited away or a princess of, or a, uh, the tale of princess Kaguya. I don't think yours works with the movie you pitch because but, this would just get lost in the shuffle in the eighties, just like the animated Lord of the Rings that didn't hold up. That's what your movie sounds like. And the other problem I have with your movie yeah, I get that it's not the easiest thing to just look up voice actors from the 80s, but there's no chance in fucking hell that Sigourney Weaver and Jack Nicholson and all these big names are doing your movie because even if you look up The Secret of Nim, there's not one big name in that whole cast. You know, Giovanni Ribisi is probably the biggest name, and that's really all you're getting. Jack Nicholson is in the prime of his career. He's not doing a voiceover movie and voice cast. Like, I don't like your casting. I don't think it fits for the movie you pitched. And I don't think the style fits the movie you pitched and it doesn't fit the source material, which sucks. And it's, yeah, it's for kids, but they're just bad kids books, just like a lot of these that come out. So I think making fun of that is very funny. And that is why it appeals to me. That's why I did this originally, because I thought that other piece of shit fantasy movie sucked. I don't care about movies like yours and I want to see them just get made fun of. There's a very, very, very small percentage of movies like this that actually work. And Lord of the Rings is basically the prime example of that ever actually working. And almost every other one that has tried to be made, whether it's animated or not, that's based off books like this sucks. So I want it to be parodied and made fun of and make, make it a movie that I would actually be interested in because I had to use this rule with this movie because there was a, no other, no other pitch I could have done for this movie that would make me want to see it unless I went the way I went with it because there's no good version of this movie that would be made. So that's why I went the direction I went with. And yours just would get lost in the shuffle and none of your actors would actually be in it. 
Well, one for one thing, yeah. Am I going to make an eighties movie and cast a bunch of voice actors? I could have done that. Yeah, you could use, you could do that. But to make it a, a fun eighties movie, especially when you're pitching a movie like this, like yeah, like we said, the actors said yes. We say that all the time. They agreed to be in it. They voiced it. And I think unless they, they never did anything and, like that at the time or in their career, you have to at least stick with like when I will get to my eighties movie and I felt and I actually put the research in. I didn't just throw point at my movie, things. Johnny. You you interrupt me like you had like a five minute diatribe and then I had two seconds. But but <laughs> also the um the whole point of mine is the the style of the eighties and the two D animation. I think would hold up because those fantasy tiles. So Miyazaki films and that like, yes, but they it took a long time for those to cross over. Um, and I think this is one that if, if introduced as a 1980s movie, it might get people interested in, in other weird concepts like that, because those movies, this one has a clear set story uh, with a beginning, middle end. Miyazaki's movies do not. They're, they're very conceptual in nature and all about emotions and feelings. And those are sometimes hard to get across with a story that's based on a kid's book. Uh, but what is easy to get across um, is the stylistic choices and a story that's easy to kind of apply to just about any situation and make it interesting. So even if this book, like you said, even if people don't like this book, you can apply the characters and make a cool, like memorable uh, world in a story that, that it does. It, it's classic and always works. And I think that it would it would hold up because almost every version of this story does. And I think we're getting towards, uh, unless you have something major, how are you guys feeling? I mean, I think we've said everything that needs yeah. to be said. Yeah, I, I could get back on what Bobby said, but I'd be repeating myself. I think I've heard a lot of arguments. Right? I, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I, right when the argument started, I definitely thought it was uh, Johnny's game to win because I liked his use of the rule and I liked how, I, how, how meta it was, I guess, that he used the rule that uh, he was probably dying to have used it the last time. But... Uh, the more Bobby argued, the more I started to see like that seems like more of a movie that I would enjoy. So no shit, <laughs> that's but point. that's kind of the point. So you, you know, should so it's me. hard to rule against. I'm I'm very split on this. I want to hear I want to hear Joe's thoughts before we do anything yeah. more though. Yeah, I'm with you. I was big time on uh, Johnny's side. Like I was leaning towards Johnny just because Bobby sounded like a little kind of generic and whatnot. Like I said, but the more I thought about it, and then Bobby started to turn me when he made the point of. Uh, essentially that like nothing about this movie would be anything that Johnny would want to see. It's basically like it's a property. So to make this, the, use the rule for this, it's like the movie only he would want to see when he doesn't care about this property. He doesn't care about this movie at all. How could it be something that only he would want to see? So I, I'm, I'm still like really crazy, but I, I'm leaning slightly towards Bobby on this. I think. I don't know. Interesting. So you both said me, but it's still school. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make the final call, but I'm going to say that uh, Johnny had me going for a really long time. I think his use of the rule is very interesting, but I don't think he quite dived wholly into making it just something that he would watch. You know, when I, when I, when I think of that rule, I think of something like totally out of thin air that nobody else in the world would want to see except for him. And I think there's enough of an audience out there for for uh, this original uh, book that there already be people watching it no matter what. So I think it's hard to say only you would watch this when there's already a built-in fan base to the book already. So I, I, I'm going to go with Bobby on this one because I just think his movie feels a little bit more watchable. And I get that was a point 
but <laughs> I just wish Johnny went further more into the rule than he than he did. I mean, I did last time. I didn't want to repeat everything I had to say last time. You guys told me it's a movie I would only watch, so fuck you guys. You made the wrong fucking decision again. This is why it'll be really interesting when I pitch my version of, of that rule because I think it's a really hard rule. It's a really hard rule to win. All right, and uh, cool, we got, got a live comment that said Jimmy Stewart's final movie was an American Tale, Five of Ghost West, which I think was kind of a comment about, about what the Johnny, actors. Johnny was saying. About yeah, that's 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 a good example of an actor in his prime doing an animated movie in the '80s. Yeah, good good fucking call, yeah. Sam. Me personally, I don't care too much um, about the realism of the casting, but sometimes it matters. Depends on the movie for me. But it pisses me off when people do that because I put a lot of fucking work into my casting. That's what pisses me off about it. Yeah. I don't just throw big names in movies to throw them in there, unless it's fucking kids. <laughs> then yeah, usually you got to do it that way. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll get up the the uh, old scoreboard. Johnny lost. Where are we going next? Um, I have one I'm really strong on, but I'm going to wait on that. I'll go with one of my next strongest ones. Um, and you know what? I'll go first. I'm going to go with um, In the Cold of the Day, um, okay. and I'm going to go first. In the Cold of the Day. Uh, it came out in 1970, got a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was uh, directed by Norman Jewison. In this sequel to In the Heat of the Night, Detective Virgil Tibbs, played by Sidney Poitier, takes Chief Gillespie, played by Rod Steiger, with him back to Philadelphia to help him solve the murder of his childhood friend. All right, Johnny, uh, what did you do with your In the Cold of the Day? All right, so obviously this is a this was a uh, failed sequel to the Best Picture winner In the Heat of the Night, and I thought that they had a couple elements in the in the original one, but they just instead of doing something unique like the original. They just kind of went back to the typical police story. So my original idea was maybe kick this to the 80s, keep it still relevant, make it a little later. But I don't want to do that because I think you can tell this story without completely connecting it to the original, um, but still telling the story of the sequel. So I'm keeping it modern day. My director is going to be Melina Matsukis, who did uh, Queen and Slim recently. Um, My Virgil Tibbs is going to be played by Lakeith Stanfield who is in Get Out and Knives Out and uh, Sorry to Bother You. My chief, Bill Gillespie, is going to be Paul Walter Hauser, uh, who is in Black Klansman and Richard Jewell. Um, I think he can play that character very, very well. Um, And my officer, Johnson, which is a character in my pitch, is going to be played by Garrett Hedlund, who probably his biggest movie was Tron. Um, It kind of killed his career because that movie sucked, but he was really good in Mudbound, and that's kind of where I'm going with with this character not exactly like morals of the character wise, but performance wise. Um, so this is my, uh, my pitch. After seeing the way uh, the police officers carry themselves in Mississippi, Virgil Tibbs transfers to internal affairs. His first case is a personal one. One of his childhood friends was pulled over and while unarmed, he was shot and killed by officer Johnson. Tibbs investigates Johnson, but after failing to get any information out of the other officers who all stand by Johnson, Tibbs decides to bring in an old friend who might be able to help, Chief Bill Gillespie. Gillespie is hesitant at first because he feels like internal affairs is a betrayal to the police brotherhood, but an emotional Tibbs is able to get through to him in the end because of what they went through um, in their original meeting. Um, 
Gillespie must pose as a new transfer to the Philadelphia Police Department and get in close with Officer Johnson and his brotherhood of, you know, officers on the force. And here's my my rule. Officer Johnson is a big time gambler and his bookie is played by Nick Saban. Similar to the way they used Mike Francesca in Uncut Gems. I think when when they do that, it just is just enough of that person, um, like a famous sports character, to kind of play that role. And it's a play on it if you know who they are. And I'm surprised how much charisma or charisma that Nick Saban has shown off the field whenever he's interviewed or even on these fucking stupid commercials that he's on. He's actually pretty entertaining in himself. I think he could play a similar role to that and be good. Um and now here's what they didn't really do in the original one. And they just played off the, the original name. Sorry. Now, in the heat of the night, it was basically a crime of passion in the middle of the night. The title made sense. The second one, they were just like, oh, we'll flip it. And it doesn't have to do with anything of the crime. My movie is called In the Cold of the Day because it's a play on that. But instead of this being a crime of passion in the middle of the night and it's a mystery, you know who did it. It was white out in broad daylight, and everyone knows this person killed the person. But the thing is taking him down through internal affairs instead of the mystery of who actually did it. So um, I, I wanted to go that way for the title to actually make sense. I wanted to give it kind of a modern-day feel. I'm fucking sick and tired every time that an innocent person is killed in this country by police officers, that everyone's response, all the police officers' response is, we're a brotherhood. we got to stand by our brothers. No, fuck you. I manage a restaurant. If another restaurant manager went and pus- punched a customer in the face, I wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm a restaurant manager too. I defend him. No, fucking fire him or you know, put him in jail for assault. I want a movie that actually comes out and says that, and I felt that that's important and it's not really being made. And I, I wanted to pitch a movie that could do that, and I think that um, the director of Queen and Slim could do a, a great job uh, telling that story. So that's my pitch. All right. Bobby, what do you got? Okay. Um, I mean, we, we didn't go in complete opposite directions. Uh, we did use um, a different rule. but So uh, my director is going to be um, Ava DuVernay. Um, I think she fits well and, and does a lot of things, especially like her recent work on, on TV and documentaries that would fit this the movie that I'm telling. Um, my detective Virgil Tibbs is going to be played by Denzel Washington. Um, it's funny we cast the same person as Chief, Chief uh, Gil Gillespie. That's Paul Walter Walter Hauser. Uh, he does fit that role really well. Um, he's going to be not as much of a main character in this, but he's still going to be pretty prominent as the chief. Um, and as for my rule, I have uh, Harrison Ford playing Detective John Book from Witness because that also takes place in Philadelphia, uh, and that's where Virgil Tibbs is returning to, and that's he's going to help him out on the case. Um, my, I also have another character in the movie that's going to be played by Shamik Moore and, and I'll get into that. Um, in, in December, detective Virgil Tibbs reser- returns to Philadelphia to investigate the murder of his childhood friend. When he returns, he finds out that detective John book is on the case and works with, with, uh, chief Gillespie to be put on the case with him. John book is convinced it is a gang related crime as the victim had te- had a tattoo of a local gang on his arm. Tibbs is suspicious because it did not seem like it was in his friend's character to join. Um, and But quickly, two more bodies with the same tattoo are found in consecutive days. This seems to con- confirm Book's thoughts. Tibbs, however, thinks something feels off. While looking at all three bodies, he realizes that the tattoos look fresh and may have been done post-mortem. As he comes to this realize- realization, he gets a call from Book. He's found the killer. 
He arrives at the station to see a young black man in handcuffs being interrogated by Book. There's an intense scene where the suspect finally admits to the crimes. Tibbs pulls Book aside and they get into an argument about coercing a confession. Tibbs pleads with Book to hold off on charging him until he does some more research. He starts visiting local tattoo parlors looking for any evidence. Uh, seemingly without any luck, he starts to head out and sees another police officer he recognizes arriving at the shop. Seeming odd, he calls Book and sends for backup. And that lead, and basically, this I don't want to go too long, but this leads to a standoff between them. The officer that he saw as the one has been killing these uh, black people in, in kind of broad daylight, but framing them as gang members. Um, and so this leads to a standoff. Uh, between them all, and Agent Book is able to sneak around back and kill the cop as he was as he took the tattoo artist hostage, as well as the the black guy that he had with him. Um, this leads to Book changing the way he investigates cases because his own assumption, assumptions almost let the cop get away with it, as well as puts the entire department under investigation to weed out any more racist cops. All right, uh, Tristan, you got any questions for him? Interesting. I do like that you guys both uh, went political with it. So you probably knew I was judging, so you were like, ooh, let's go as political as we possibly can, because <laughs> Tristan's the one judging. Uh, but uh, I do like that both of you guys are kind of like character-focused on this individual person. And I want to ask, because the original was also, and it was to the point where it was unreliable narration. Like, you saw things happening, and you weren't quite sure if they were really there or not. So do you... Uh, follow through with that in the sequel is everything that you see happening around you really there or is he starting to lose his mind and see things that aren't there like hallucinations i never thought that that fit with the characters of the original one and that's one of the reasons that the sequel failed so no that's not in my movie mine is more just like a straightforward tale yeah mine's pretty straightforward i mean the the only way you could even like say that it is similar which i described is that uh, detective book sees his what he thinks is happening so clearly that he's not really thinking anything else could be the case. While uh, um, Denzel Washington's character is is more suspicious and sees it in a whole different way. So you're kind of getting two perspectives, but it's not like one's not happening. Hmm. All right, I like it. All right, and then uh, my question for both of you and is, uh, in 2018, the uh, 4K version was released, and a fan noticed in the background there was a fake newspaper that read, Apollo Creed wins the title. Uh, Stallone later admitted that this is where he got the name for the antagonist in Rocky, and many fans of both franchises view these movies as being in the same universe. So does your movie have any ties to Rocky or Creed? And uh, I'll I mean, it's in Philadelphia, so you, I'll answer. It's in Philadelphia, so you see the statue of Rocky. Every movie that takes place in Philadelphia takes place in the universe of Rocky. Rocky is canon to the history of Philadelphia at this point in time. Yeah, I'll stick with that. Uh, okay. Uh, and uh, I don't really have any further questions, so if Tristan doesn't have anything, I'm just going to let you guys fight it out. Yeah, go for it. Oh, Bobby, start. I started last time. Yeah, so one of the things I like with this is you have a dynamic of two different police officers that are – trying to do the right thing, but they have different visions and different viewpoints on how they actually go about the investigation. Uh, Book sees one thing. It's like, oh, that's what it is. I've seen this a million times. Like there's clearly black on black gang crime type stuff where you get the perspective of the black police officer being like, no, I actually know this person. It's not, it may not be as clear as it seems. We need to do actual investigative work. And even though Book thinks he's doing the right thing as and we saw in witness, he's a great man and police officer. It's just being in this so long, you kind of fall into your patterns. And when um, 
and that's kind of just how how police officers view black people unfortunately in a lot of ways so it's just i like the coming to realization from a character that we know as a good character from a previous movie um being pulled into it and it kind of works because they're both from philadelphia it plays in pretty well um so i i like both our movies i like both pitches because they both do go into the political aspects but um i just personally it's going to be more of an argument for me of i like my movie better here because i like the two different um viewpoints that we get yeah i i, I like um i like bobby's movie it's one i would see it has a lot of elements that i've already seen before i wanted to go in a direction that's maybe never been put on screen Bobby, yours with especially the confessions and the assuming all the people are gang members and framing and thing, that's, I don't think you've ever probably seen Memories of a Murder uh, by Bong Joon-ho, but it's very, very similar um, storyline-wise. Um, same with a movie called Confessions of a Murder that came out a few years ago. Both Korean films, both very good, has some of those same elements to it. Obviously, yours is America and brings in race and stuff that those movies don't have. Um, but I, I think my movie is one that is more important, which I think is basically the only kind of way we can go with this, even though I think mine has more to do with the original. Now, I don't love your Denzel casting because I would like to see, like in the original one, Cindy Portier and uh, Rob Steger were like the same age. I liked their dynamic. I think you kind of cut that dynamic out of your movie. Um, and if this is going to have any ties to Obviously, the best picture winner in the heat of the night, I want those two characters specifically. So mine has more focus on that, um, where I, I think you kind of weaken yours by taking that out and making the age gap so different between Denzel and um, and the... What, what uh, age gap are you... Oh, well, between... The, yeah, like 30 years apart. Right. They are, in, but... In you can, real life. Yeah, but you can age them. That's the whole thing. That's why I made... Because my focus is going to end up being on... Um, on Denzel and Harrison Ford and like, and Paul Walter Hauser's character, like you can, you can easily age people up and like make it look way better than aging people down at this point. So you can make him look older. He's the chief, he's running it. So he's in charge of the investigation. So they report to him and all that. But um, really though, I just like the dynamic between first off seeing Denzel and Harrison Ford in a movie is uh that's, that's attractive to bring people in to see this type of movie because when you get political, sometimes it's hard to bring in a mass audience. But Denzel and Harrison Ford bring big audiences and they're very charismatic together. Um, so you get, even when they're arguing, you get like entertainment value. You get the darkness too because Denzel's a fantastic actor. Um, you get uh, Harrison Ford being able to be his kind of grumpy self when he, when he, when he, you know, when Denzel's pushing back at him. Uh, and I think that creates a better dynamic for, throughout the entire movie rather than a more quiet, like yours sounds like a very quiet character piece and a, it's an investigation from internal affairs, which yes, I get it, but it's not going to have, like this could be a movie that people like because of the two leads and their interactions and get mass, more mass appeal and tell the story to a wider audience than yours that would be more of an okay. indie kind of story that would be critically acclaimed and not get the story out to as many people. Here's, here's my thing with yours is I see where you're going with it, but it's something that's been told before, um, you know, cops framing black people and cops doing all these things to, you know, make it look like these people are guilty and stuff. But that's not the story that we're that we have today. It's not framing anyone. Breonna Taylor wasn't framed for anything. She was murdered by police officers in bed at night. And everyone knows the faces of the cops that did it. And there was no accountability. 
Your movie is something that I feel like would have been relevant probably 10 years ago, but I think we're past that in terms of the message that you're trying to portray. I think my movie is something that hasn't been done or hasn't been told. I don't know another movie that um, comes out and really says, other than some documentaries, um, shout out to your director, Avery DuVernay, has done a couple of them, that says police need to be held accountable for their actions, the things that they're actually doing in real life, not tattooing black people once they're dead yeah, to frame but, them to look like gang but, members. Let me talk real quick. Okay. Um, I had an Xbox is, is, yeah, maybe your movie is a bigger audience, but like Fruitvale Station was a very popular movie to the audience that it was and made Ryan Coogler a superstar. Mine's more on the level of a movie like that, maybe a little bigger because you do attach a little bigger names to it. Um, Hardly anyone saw that movie. That, that, yeah, and, and I, it's that a great made movie. It's a that made Ryan Coogler a superstar. So I don't really care about that. I want to make a movie that's telling a message that's and not out there because I think after mine, yeah, and Rick Mine was fucking great, right? Yeah, she's made one decent movie, and that was Selma, other than her documentaries, which have been good, but her actual storytelling in film has not been great. I thought Selma was, it was fine. I thought it was, you know, it could have been a lot better, and I thought Wrinkle in Time sucked. So my Very thing with movie. it is I'm taking a younger director, more up-and-comer. I'm giving her the movie that's going to break her out a little more, and I'm telling a story that's more relevant to the news today. Yours is just a little a little past its time, and, and I think mine is is relevant. And I had another point, but because you jumped in, I kind of forgot where I was going with it. But I think um, mine just basically comes out and says, I'm sick of this brotherhood of cops. Like if you're really good, if you're actually a good cop, you should be defending the people that are killed. You should be supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. You should be supporting getting rid of all these terrible cops. Your movie doesn't actually say any so of that. My quick, movie will come out and say that. Quick no rebuttal. Yeah. Quick, quick rebuttal because I know you guys want to get to your verdict or your decision. But basically, what what mine what I want to do is it does show because when you have the racist cops, the ones that are just straight up doing the bad things, like like the Breonna Taylor murder and all that, and the ones defending them, those people are really they're not going to change. It's very rare that you think that those but they're are not county. Wait, wait a second. That is what I'm talking about. I know, but hold on. If but so the message that I'm telling is more towards the cops that are good cops like um, like Harrison Ford books, book, John books character to get them, get people in police in, that are in the, that type of line of business to change the way they're thinking. Because the reason that people, that there's no accountability is it's just defend cops, defend cops, everything, you know, and, and everyone has their biases that are kind of unknown to them. It makes people, I want people to look at that and be like, wait, so he, like this seemed like an obvious thing and that's what I would have done too. Maybe I should look at this a little differently. I just want them, the ones that have the ch the chance to change, I want them to look at how they are doing their job differently. That's, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Which right. my movie well, does better than yours. I have my decision. Tristan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, very close. I'm not going to lie. You guys that, once again, have me going back and forth on this one, even more so than the last one. I think I was by the, by the moment going, Oh, definitely Johnny. Oh, definitely Bobby. Uh, I do think Johnny's is a bit more direct and a bit more relevant to what people are talking about today. So I think that was definitely a plus for Johnny's. But I do think Bobby's also has a plus of being a little bit wider of a perspective and more focused on like the the system that makes the problems more so than like the individual police. And I think looking into that deeper, going into the, the 
judicial system and how that system itself is racist too. It's more than just cops being racist to people. It's 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 ingrained into the system more so. So I'm definitely split on both of you guys here. Thankfully, I'm just consulting. I'm not making the final ruling here. But I do think Bobby's plot felt a little convoluted, although tattooing these people to frame them like as yeah, gang also, members. Also, that was my point. Cops <laughs> would never be so fucking stupid because they'd be yeah. smart enough to be like, yeah, you can obviously see when these tattoos yeah. were I was made. like, no they wouldn't even need a tattoo. They, they, can just, they can just yeah. say it. Like They can just lie. Like Cops don't need a convoluted blood. Like, yeah, evil backstory. Exactly. They can just that, say it. That's and people why believe I think it. mine was stronger because mine didn't just try to cover shit up. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. definitely split, but thank God I'm not, I'm not giving it. If I was, I'd probably give it to Bobby, but I'm not the one calling it. So I'm, I'm gonna call it back to Joe. All right. So my thing is, uh, when Johnny started talking, everything he said, I was on board for. Like the Mike or the Nick Saban cameo. I love the Mike Francesa cameo and Uncut Gems. I thought that was great. You know, I was on board for a lot of what Johnny said. I like his casting. You know, I like uh, Paul Walter Hauser and Lakeith Stanfield. And my thing with Bobby's is I would love a Denzel Washington Harrison Ford movie if this was 1995. But in 2020, if you're giving me the option between a Denzel Washington. now. Whatever. It's 2021. If you're giving me the option between a Denzel Washington Harrison Ford movie or a Lakeith Stanfield and Paul Walter Hauser movie, for me personally, I'm going to go with the Paul Walter Hauser Lakeith Stanfield movie. And I haven't seen queen and slim but i've seen like a lot of reviews for it a lot of people loved it the trailer looked interesting i just never got around to seeing it selma like johnny i thought the opening was solid for selma and then the rest was just kind of cookie cutter kind of generic kind of story uh i didn't see wrinkle in time people kind of crapped all over it uh didn't see 13th either but i know people loved it so i feel like her where ava duvernay should go is just make a bunch of great amazing documentaries that people are gonna love and if you haven't figured it out already, I'm going to go with uh, Johnny. And I also had the thought of, as soon as Bobby told his twist with the tattoos, my first thought was, I am not a cop, but I have like four or five tattoos. I could look at that tattoo if they put it on the body after someone's dead and be like, yeah, they put that guy did not have that t- tattoo when he died. No, I know. The whole point was, like, was it was supposed twist? to be obvious, but they didn't look, I didn't get into uh, that. But yeah, it was supposed to be an obvious thing. And the, but it's like, but because even with or without it. that, I'm, I know. I'm still good. I, know. I like I Johnny's movie. movie. That's good. That's I fine. felt like you were explaining Batman v Superman to me as you were going through that plot. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Yeah. All right. Um. So let's see. Again, kind of like Johnny. It's like, do I go with like my one of my stronger ones or like strongest or not? Um. I'm gonna go with despite all my rage. Um, okay. And uh, I'll go first. It's fine. Right on my rage. Got an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, after his office, cr- after his office crush goes missing, loner accountant Rudy Russell, played by Ben Stiller, takes up the search, unleashing brutal pent-up violence on those he deems responsible. As the truth unravels, Rudy begins to question if his inner demon will ever go back in its cage. Critics despise the violence as well as the vulgar performance from Stiller. Okay. All right. Um, so my movie uh, is going to be directed by Neville Dean Taylor, who did the Crank movies, um, as well as uh, the, the show Happy that is really good. I've used them once before a while ago, but um, I, I like their style for this. Um, my Rudy is going to be played by someone who is going to look the type of a kind of a loner accountant, and that's going to be Jay Baruchel. 
Uh, his office crush is going to be played by Kristen Bell. Uh, she's in it kind of briefly, but she's charismatic enough that you kind of care about her. Um, and that's kind of the, the, those are really the two main people that I cast in the movie. Uh, so Rudy Russell is a loner accountant working for a small company. He notices his office crush, Laura, has not come into work for a few days and becomes concerned. When her parents file a missing persons report, he starts doing his own investigating. At first, he tries to get involved with the cops, but they quickly tell him that they appreciate his concern and that any information he may have would be helpful, but he could not actually assist in the investigation. Um, because he had uh, talked to her before about her neighbors, he figures out that her neighbor was a um, drug dealer and figures that he must be involved. So he goes to talk to this neighbor, Sean. When he refuses to admit he has anything to do with her disappearance, Rudy's anger grows continuously until he snaps, grabbing a knife from the counter and stabbing him 12 times. And that's the one, because I mean, the point of the movie, like despite all my rage, he does go into these violent rage kind of filled acts. And when that happens, it's going to go into more of the style of crank where the camera it's more kind of sped up with the like very stylistic um, and kind of turns into like, it's like a fun, but also violent. It's kind of showing his rage and the snap that happens. Um, Rudy's shaken by his reaction, but feels justified after seeing Sean had a gun on, had a gun on him. He goes through Sean's phone and finds text messages um, from what he can only assume is the drug trafficking organization. He realizes Laura must've found out about the organization and they must have her or have killed her. So he takes the gun and goes to the headquarters um, it turns into kind of an action movie of him going through and, and he get you know, he gets angry when they wouldn't let him in to talk. So then he takes out the security guards and like a fit of rage and all that. And it's basically making his way into this. It's an like a third act kind of action scene of him going in to, to try to save her. Um, when he gets the, to the boss and has him at gunpoint, the, the cops show up uh, and he, and he's like, Oh, finally I have, you know, I, I have some backup. These guys definitely have Laura. And instead, they end up arresting Rudy because this is my twist ending is that uh, they found video evidence that he was the one uh, that killed Laura and slammed her head into a wall outside of her apartment and put her body in a dumpster. Uh, and he was he was suffering from disassociative amnesia from the traumatic event that, uh, after he snapped and that uh, she had put in her two weeks from he kind of you kind of see a, a flashback from his eyes to see what what caused it. She had put in her two weeks from work. Um, and he tried to beg her to stay with the company and that caused him to get mad. So it kind of, it triggered that anger to that snap level for the first time. Uh, so he ends up getting arrested at the end of the movie. So right. there's my, my movie. Right. Johnny, what's your pitch for the All right. Range? Take deep breaths. Cause this is my longest pitch of the night. Uh, maybe the longest one I've done. Despite All My Rage is a terrible movie um, originally with not much to say. Um, so, you know, mine doesn't have a ton to say, but it's a better movie. And, and the title, uh, it just it, the title screams to me, Korean film. Everything about this movie does. It's a great uh, revenge film. It's a great uh, Korean title. Like I saw the devil um, and despite All My Rage, like those just kind of fit with me. Now, I didn't go that direction with the director. Um, I use, um, I'll, I'll get to it, I guess. Um, but spoiler, Bobby and I have the same, uh, use the same rule in this movie. And my director is Park Chan-wook, who is one of the best working directors alive. He did Old Boy and Lady Vengeance, as well as The Handmaiden, uh, which was in my, I believe, my top five uh, films of the decade. Um, my lead is going to be named Song Woo. That is played by uh, Gang Dong-wan. He was in a film called Master, which is really good, but 
He was most recently the lead in uh, Train to Busan Peninsula, as well as um, a great film from 2010 called The Secret Reunion um, with the same director as A Taxi Driver, which Joe and I were mentioning earlier. Not probably during the episode. And then my my lead girl uh, is So Young. That's going to be played by Kim Tyree, who is the younger uh, woman in The Handmaiden, the one who kind of infiltrates it. Um, as well as a great little Korean film called Mr. Sunshine. So with that being established, <clears throat> let, me, let me get started on my pitch. All right. So Song Wu is an accountant who has always struggled with anger management, but finally has some stability in his life. He, is, he has a steady job and has a crush on a woman he works with named So Young. Uh, he has a slightly flirtatious relationship with her at work and goes to bed happy. The problem is when he falls asleep, he has nightmares played out in flashbacks of kind of his previous life. Through these flashback sequences, it's revealed he was in a bar fight, which ended up taking a man's life. Uh, he was not given jail time because a lawyer got him off on the self-defense claim. However, he was uh, court-ordered to uh, attend anger management classes. Through this class, his sponsor turned him onto a work program that landed him the accounting job that he has today. Um, once the first half of the film kind of establishes the relationship with So Young and the demons of his past and the anger you know, problems that he's had, um, the next chapter kind of begins. Song Wu finally gets a good night's sleep. He, one of the first nights he's had, he falls asleep. He doesn't have any bad dreams. He wakes up, heads to work. Today is the day he finally asks So Young on a date. When he gets to work, she's gone. No more insight. Her desk is gone. There's another name on her office door. He panics and starts asking everyone what happened to her. Um, they all say they have no idea what he's talking about. He causes a big scene, shouting at all the coworkers, smacking his hands on the desks um, until he's escorted out by security. Feeling like he has no one else to turn to, Song Wu heads to his old um, uh, sponsor's house. And when he gets to the building... The doors are locked and the windows are boarded shut. He asks a man cleaning the sidewalk, what happened to, to this place? I, I've been coming here all these years, um, and there was a man who used to live here. The old man uh, sweeping the sidewalk says that this place has been abandoned for 20 years, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Angry and confused, um, he heads home, and there's an envelope on his kitchen table. The envelope contains a note with only one word, murderer. There is also a picture with an address, the picture of Soyoung gagged, gagged and tied to a chair. The address is of the old bar where Song Wu killed a man, which has since been shut down. He travels to the bar with a baseball bat and finds men guarding the building. He goes on a violent rampage, beating every man who comes in his way nearly to death. He gets to the man that must be the leader in his office and interrogates him, trying to get answers about Soyoung um, and what has been happening to him. No one seems to know what he's talking about. He can't get answers out of anyone, so he beats the man to death. The police come. They arrest Song Wu. Um, this is where my role comes in, which is a twist ending, just like Bobby had. Um, and this is where it gets real interesting. So before his trial, Song Wu is being held in prison. The guards come in and tell him he has a visitor. He's confused but goes to the meeting room. His visitor is So Young. Song Wu is shocked. He tells her she has to tell them he was trying to rescue her, that she was kidnapped, that he's an innocent man. He was just trying to save her. So Young tells him that he is not an innocent man, that years ago in a bar fight, he murdered her brother. He beat him to death and got off on a bullshit technicality from a sneaky lawyer. She reveals that the sponsor of his anger management class, his job, 
Almost everything in his life was planted by her. She wanted revenge and finally has it. The movie ends with a montage of Soyoung setting up everything that I just kind of said. So it's not just going to be her telling him. It's going to be like how she played everything out. Um, and then uh, it's going to end with her um, hanging up the phone and getting up and walking out of the prison. And uh, Sung Woo looking shocked. And then it cuts to black. Credits. Boom. There's my movie. There's my twist. And uh, yeah, that was one of the longest ones I've done. But it's hard to establish a twist um, if you don't have a long pitch. So... Yeah, definitely. Well, so my question, I'll ask my question first, and then I'll let Tristan ask his. Uh, so my question is, where is it? Ah, uh, right there. Uh, in the original, so uh, Rudy's inner demon manifests itself as an imaginary friend, played by Vince Vaughn. Is there anything like this in your movie? And Bobby, pitch first, so I'll let him go first. No, I kind of avoid that. It's more just his, you know you see him flip a switch to his anger. It's not that he's like talking with it. All right. And uh, yeah, no, mine, mine shows it in like his past life. He feels like this character is above that. He is away from it. And then he, you know, snaps at the end before the big action sequence. So it doesn't have him talking to an imaginary character. All right. And then uh, I have a second question for Johnny. Is it revealed like the, who's the guy that he ultimately kills? That's like the leader. Or that he believes to be the leader or anything. Um, it's it's like a Korean gang. I had more into it of like, you know, she wanted to kind of take out this gang too because her brother was put in bad situations by them. So okay. it's taken out. I kind of deleted that stuff because um my pitch was already so long. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was that's that's why he goes to that specific spot. <coughs> okay. And then uh, Tristan, do you have a question for them? I do have a question for both of them, and then I have a kind of a general thing I hope they cover in the arguments here. But uh, the movie, like you guys said, is not very good, but you guys both do have very stylistic choices for it. So I think uh, this question is pretty relevant because the movie's kind of one noteworthy scene is this pretty cool one shot where they're tracking Ben Stiller's character as he goes through this action scene rampaging through uh, villains as he's chasing uh, Charlie Sheen's character, Rex. As you know, is a villain from the original. Uh, he's chasing him through the suburbs and kind of cutting down all his villains. Do you guys have a big like one-shot action moment or something like that that you that kind of used to pay tribute to this big one-shot moment from this one? Yeah, um, actually, it's funny you mention that because I, I know that's in the original. I'm not completely familiar with it, but my idea for the fight scene at the end with him going in with the baseball bat He's going to fight all these people through this bar, and the whole thing until he gets to the final boss guy is going to be one shot. Very similar to the best action scene ever directed, which was the one-take fight scene in Old Boy in the hallway with the hammer, which this director also did. How about you, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, I think it it completely fits the style of Nelby and Taylor. Uh, I mean, you'll have... I mean... Basically, you, you're not going to have like this super long one shot, but as far as getting the style of a crazy action movie, um, when he enters into that final battle, at the, like kind of, kind of his working his way up through the building or, you know, the office at the end, um, there is a kind of longer moment, but it has their style of the camera being a little bit more not compl- it's like like the sped up. If you've seen Crank, you know the style I'm trying to describe, but it's like mm-hmm. the sped up kind of camera action thing um of him going in there and the camera kind of going around him 
Um, so it's not necessarily like, oh, there was a one shot, so I'm going to do a one shot, but they had a cool camera trick and an action scene. They're going to do the same thing in this in a, in, in a different way. Yeah. And my general question is you guys both use twists. So I'd like to hear you guys argue a bit about which twist you think is a little bit better. I do to play my hand a little bit. I think that Johnny did use his twist a bit better here. I'm going to need Bobby to talk a lot more to just defend his twist and why it's not cliche. Cause at this point I feel like, Oh, the main character's actually got dissociative identity disorder or he hit his head and he became another person. That's something I feel like is kind of done. So I want to hear a little bit of a defense of your ending Bobby, as you get mm -hmm. the arguments here, not so much as a question, but just as you go. Yep. Oh yeah. You guys can right. find it out. Um, all right. Well, I mean, can I start with just addressing a little bit of that so that you could, I mean, you can probably pick it apart too, but basically, um, with this type of movie, I didn't need the twist to be some amazing, outrageous thing. But what I want to do is lull the audience into thinking that you have a believable um, protagonist who wouldn't have wouldn't have done this to someone he likes so much. Because you're going to get quite a few flashbacks of him interacting with Laura, with Kristen Bell throughout. Um, and it's going to be people are going to kind of the the vibe I want people to think is that this is like Liam Neeson and Taken going to get the girl back. So they're not, it's not going to tip its hand that he would have done this to her. It's only that he's angry that anyone would even do this. And that's what's making him snap. Not that he necessarily has these anger issues. That's kind of revealed by the twist that, oh, no, he really does just snap. Um, and that's where the rage comes from. So it's more, it's more a twist on the genre than it is necessarily of a big twist in the movie where it's supposed to lull you into... Um, thinking that you are rooting for a Liam Neeson type character or a character that you wouldn't believe could do this because Jay Baruchel, I mean, look at him. He's, he's like a scrawny little, you know, nothing that's he's shy. Like a real 90s, he's like a real nineties Ed Norton type, you know, like a fight club. Type <laughs> not, character. not really. Yeah. Not quite. I wouldn't, I, I would like not a, put those two in the like same. Kind of like a Tyler Durden. I, I wouldn't put those in the same category at all, actually. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's weird because you're not, you sound so close to it. Um, here's, here's my thing. I've seen Bobby's movie. Um, and it's, it's fine. Like it's a fun action movie. I, I go see Bobby's for sure. I love crank and crank too, but they're both bad movies. Like they're Neville Dean and Taylor are not good directors. Like they're, they're fun for what they do. If you like that style, if you want to see some crazy ass movie where Glenn Howerton from it's always sunny has a cameo and it's just a ridiculous scene. Yeah, that's fine. A dude falling out of a helicopter and surviving like that's exciting stuff. Like, I like those movies, but they're not well-directed films. Like, I don't trust Neville Dean and Taylor to pull have off. You seen, like, have, a you good seen twist. have you seen Have you Happy? seen Happy? Um, yeah, have you seen uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance? Because, yeah, I fucking saw that, yeah, too, which they did. So, they, yeah, okay, done, I'm going to look at their thing. career as a whole. Would you rather see even, okay, would you rather see Happy or Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance or Crank 2 or Old Boy or The Handmaiden or even a movie like The Man from Nowhere? which my film is closer to like a very well-directed takes its time, but it's a good action film. Um, Park Chan-wook is not only one of the best action directors, he establishes the characters very well. So when the action comes like the hammer scene in old boy, you already know who the characters are. They're well-established. It's not just Jay Baruchel being Jay Baruchel and then stabbing someone like Neville Dean and Taylor can't establish characters. They can't, write a good plot like but they make very fun action movies that i would go see but if i'm looking for a movie with a good twist i'm going to see my movie 
And that's the rule we both we both used for it. Mine's smarter. Mine has better acting. Mine has better characters. Um, and a way, way stronger director. Neville Dean Taylor wouldn't be in the top 200 filmmakers like that's, you know, of the last decade. And Park Chan-wook is arguably a top 10 director for me of all time. So I'm going to go see a film directed by a very strong director with a good story, with a good twist, with good acting. Um, and I'm, you know, I think mine is a little more original. I've seen yours, like Tristan said, like it's always the twist in movies of, Oh yeah, this dude's just a crazy person. I like the idea of someone kind of getting a twist and it's like, you know, Korean, Korean revenge films is a, is a genre all in itself. And I like that my twist, I wanted to go with, you think it's this guy getting revenge, like it's his tale, but, but really the twist is that it's uh, So Young's tale, it's her revenge tale. So it kind of plays on that. It, twi- it, it changes things up from the genre, but still has a lot of the same good, um, you know, uh, moments and the themes from it. And I just think mine's, yours is fun. I'll see it. Mine actually would be a critically acclaimed, very good movie that people would enjoy. Not just like, oh, this is so dumb. It's fun, you know, which is fine, but not for a movie that I'm looking for a big twist at the end. That's going to shock me. Your movie's. I have, I have one last question to ask for Bobby here. Yeah. Uh, I want you to imagine your movie comes out and, critics came out and gave reviews to it what in your mind is like the best possible critic reaction to this movie like what's someone who loved it going to say about this movie that they liked that it was um balls to the wall action when it happens with uh a performance that you don't expect by jay baruchel because he's done nothing like this and i think that him doing the action scenes would be um kind of defining for his career showing that he can do something differently uh the charisma of Kristen bell um to kind of make you believe that and just it's balls to the wall action like johnny said um i mean if i'm just answering your question that's kind of what i'm thinking a critic's gonna gonna do is like this is a balls to the wall action movie with a lead you wouldn't expect doing something a lot of fun very stylistic um and uh surprising so like a, a surprising ending to a movie in this genre, you know, but I mean, Johnny's look, the only thing I'll say about Johnny's cause you did like you pitched it. It's a, it's a twist. It's a good twist, but I feel like it is a little more convoluted than it needs to be with the whole backstory of her. And especially with even including the gang and that she had something to do with that. I think it's just a little too much. Like it could be picked apart. Basically this mine's a twist. Be, that, if, you, if I had picked a director like yours, yes, but no, having but, seen at least Tr- Tristan so, kind of knows where I'm going because he's. Yeah, I can back him up and say that if he picked a different director, yeah. I'd agree with it. Mm-hmm. But I think that director could definitely pull off like the weaving webs of a crazy story like that. So I'm I'm sold on yeah. that director choice. So that's my defense on that. Yeah, hard call. All Once right. again, you guys came out hard on this one. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I've heard what I need to hear. Uh, what are your thoughts? Who are you going with? And then I'll make the decision. I'm hard. Um, it's a hard choice to make right now. I think that Bobby's sounds interesting. It sounds like something that'd be a little bit subversive for this genre in a way. Like it, he came out initially and I thought, oh, the, the guy just hits his head. That's kind of been done before. But I think the way that Bobby kind of talks about it makes it sound like it's a little bit of a su- subversive take on the genre. So I'm kind of a fan of that. And I think that he picked great directors for that kind I mean, of a yeah. movie. I think they could pull off a really crazy style. And I think even though 
sure they'd only done crank movies. I think this could be a fun like comeback vehicle for them. So I'm gonna have to go in the head and uh, I don't know. I want to get your your thoughts, Joe, before I make a final call. But it's it's close than I, closer than I expected it to be. Yeah, my thing is, my thing is like I agree. Like I think Bobby's would be a great version of what it's going for, but I feel like Johnny's would be like a great movie overall. I think as far if you want to compare. Uh, rule usage they both use the same rule i disagree number one that johnny's is super convoluted i feel like it's pretty simple like he screwed over her brother and so she put him in a situation to kind of do the same thing but this time he's not going to get out of it and then it was just kind of giving an explanation of why she chose for that person for him to kill like i didn't think it was that convoluted to begin with i like the twist it's nothing i've really seen before where bobby's i feel like i've kind of seen that twist before so i think just for me overall i'm definitely johnny would be my pick i ultimately agree i think i'm split because bobby's just sounds like a perfect movie for what that could be you know like that kind of a style of an action movie but then I thought about how you guys didn't pick my Charlie Coffin movie last week, and I tried to make it a perfect movie of what that could have been in that niche of a market of a movie, and you guys were like, no, it's not what I personally want to watch, so I'm not going with that one. And personally, if I was sitting down and it was like, here's a really solid, good crank action movie versus here's like a Korean action movie from the director of The Handmaiden that has all these twists and turns and this really intense plot behind it and also action. I definitely be going for the Korean movie. So ultimately just which one am I going to want to watch? I want to watch Johnny's more. So let's go with Johnny for the win on this one. Um, that was way too close guys. I was that, that was. Okay. I pitched my movie. I, okay. I really like my movie, but Johnny actually made a twist. So wants to make everything seem close because his whole new character is, I'm going to be the best at this. So I want to make other movies seem not yeah. as strong. No, but, I mean, yeah, Johnny's I was a way better movie. movie. Was so much way, way better than Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think Bobby's. Your sounded fun. I like my, I like my movie, but, but yours, yeah, yeah, there is. But, but I was, I was, you know, that's something that's not supposed to go up against. Tristan's the same bringing movie. in his personal biases into his judging <laughs> all of a sudden, which is not. Yeah, what just you're like you did when you wouldn't, when you wouldn't give me the coffin oh, movie because we. We got because some revenge. Stopped. We got a yeah, revenge yeah, that's, that's going getting, on right now. It's getting real now. <laughs> Season two Johnny, is getting like serious. Johnny, like you've never brought in personal biases no, in your judging. Never. I mean, every, everyone does. It, it's more of just like yeah. personal. Personal. Yeah. I thought Tristan was going with his judgment call based on the decision that judges <laughs> made on his itch. And I was like, that's not what you're supposed to do. You go no. with your bias based on what film you'd rather watch, but not what the judges did to you. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, right. well, we, you know, we should keep back? moving. We're going to go to off the track. Okay. We're definitely going off a track already on this episode. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, we got to speed this up for like an hour. <laughs> I guess that's not terrible timing. Yeah, three movies in, so it's not terrible. But yeah, I'll probably. I really like this episode. Bit. This uh, movie, by the way, to to tease you guys. I'm a big off the track fan. Yeah. Uh-oh. Eh, it's okay. Uh, I got a seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. The family comedy tells the inspiring true story of Cub Scout leader Don Murphy and his innovative journey to create the first Pinewood Derby. 
Uh, the film received mixed reviews, praising the performance of Tom Hanks, but disliking the flat direction and writing from Zemeckis. And uh, who's going first? I'll let Johnny go. I went first last time. All right, Johnny. All right. So I thought there was a... I, I didn't give a shit about this movie originally. I don't care about the old one. I don't give a shit about Cub Scouts. Like, none of that. none of that is a cool thing or anything like that. But after working around things, I actually think I... I have a pitch. This one's much shorter than my last one. Don't worry. But I, I think I came up with a pitch that a movie that I would want to see. And it's um, uh, something that I think audiences would like. And uh, it fits the director's style because my director for Off the Track is Wes Anderson. Um, my Don Murphy, the uh, Cub Scout leader, that's going to be my rule. I am resurrecting the career of someone who is an Oscar winner, if I, if I believe. He hasn't done anything a long time. Now he's doing... Dragon Blade in China and not really being in movies other than small roles in Wes Anderson movies. So Adrian Brody, I'm resurrecting his career. We haven't seen him be a lead in a good movie in a long time. And I, and, and I never really appreciated him until he's been away. So I, I, I want him to be my uh, Cub Scout leader. So resurrecting Adrian Brody's career with a director that's worked with him before and can get a great performance out of him. Um, my Cub Scouts, um, you know what? I'll go into the rest of my cast once I do my pitch because I think it'll just make a little more sense. So this is my pitch. Don Murphy starts his own branch of the Cub Scouts and wants it to be more inclusive. He doesn't want it to be all boys. So he uh, invites girls into his as well. So it's a mixture of both boys and girls into his Cub Scout unit. Um, but the head of the Cub Scouts discovers this and bans Don's troop from the Cub Scouts. Um, Don wants to show that the Cub Scouts are for everybody not just for boys. So he challenges the other local troops to a Pinewood Derby race. If they win, they get to be included in the Cub Scouts. And if they lose, he will disband his troop. Very simple story. Sets up a fun Wes Anderson movie. Doesn't need a ton of plot, just like a Moonrise Kingdom style film. Um, but it has a lot of quirky comedy and, and things like that. And what Moonrise Kingdom did so well was have the interactions between Ed Norton and the Cub Scouts. So my Cub Scouts or not Cub Scouts in the original one, but Cub Scouts in this. Um, Chloe Coleman, she's a superstar. She was in My Spy, which is an okay movie, but her and Dave Bautista make that movie insanely uh, entertaining. Um, Evan Alex, who is um, the son in Us. Um, Julia Butters, who's a great young actress from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She had the best scene in that whole movie. And um, Isaac Wang, who was in uh, Good Boys as Soren. I thought... He had a very small role in that. He was the party that they go to at the end of the film, but I thought he was so funny in that, just in the small role he had. So those are like my main Cub Scouts in the unit. And then my head of the Cub Scouts um, is going to be played by Jeff Goldblum. Um, and my rival Cub Scout leaders, the ones who kind of lead the other troops, are going to be played by Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, um, and Ben Stiller. Okay. All right, so that's my pitch. And I'm going to grab a drink, but I can still hear you. I'm a big okay. fan of that pitch to clean you guys in. I like the direction. Okay. Uh, well, mine's definitely a different direction, but I think it makes a little bit more sense for the movie that we're telling, especially because the original was a biopic. Um, so mine is going to be directed by Jorma Tacone uh, and uh, Kiva Schaefer, who did pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping, um, which leads you to my characters. So Don Murphy is going to be played by Andy Samberg. Um, another scout leader that's going to help him out in the movie is going to be played by Bill Hader. Um, and his son is going to be played by Archie Yates, who is the friend from Jojo Rabbit, the kind of chubbier one who's really funny in that movie. 
Um, and he uh, he's 11 years old, so it fits because Don Murphy had a 10-year-old kid at the time, uh, which was kind of his inspiration. So the movie starts with Don Murphy, which is Andy Samberg, in old makeup reflecting on his life and how important he was that he created the Pinewood Derby and how it changed the world. It flashes back to 1953, showing Don Murphy and his 10-year-old son watching the Soapbox Derby. It shows kids being ruthless to each other, violently taking each other out along the way to the finish. This horrifies Don and inspires him to come up with something he deems safer for his 10-year-old. He goes through multiple attempts that fail miserably, including a, including a paper airplane racing, pushing soapbox cars down a hill with no driver that veer off into traffic, causing a big car, car crash, and others before finally setting, settling on the Pinewood Derby idea. He has lots of people telling, how, telling him how terrible of an idea it was, including a cameo uh, by Nick Saban, who is the middle school football coach, that says that the Pinewood Derby sounded like it was for pussies who can't play football. There's a dramatic montage of them building the first track, and it ends up making uh, all the football players jealous, and they quit the team to join the Boy Scouts. Um, this is a parody of biopics, obviously, because the first one, no one really cares about the kind of the setup of that, and it happened. We told the, the story once already. So it's going to be, I think it's time for another parody of biopics in this fashion and something that people don't care about quite as much. Um, and I think it would just be funny. I think it just sounds like a funny idea to me. So uh, I like it as a reboot to a biopic rather than Johnny's, which is a whole new movie um, and not necessarily uh, the Don Murphy story. All right. Which so uh, many people care about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Tristan, is that all right if I ask my question first? Yeah, you go ahead. I'm, I have a lot to say on mine, I think. All right, so I'll just say that many were confused why this sweet story set in 1953 about a simple man creating the Pinewood Derby would be set amongst the backdrop of the end of the Korean War. So did you include any of this in your movie? Of the Korean War? <laughs> 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 No. <laughs> no, it, it's more of it's, it's not gonna not gonna touch that. Okay. Uh Tristan, what's your question? <laughs> Tristan, you good? Yeah. I think you, I think you killed him. Sorry. Track just means a lot to me, you know. Uh, when I was a kid, I did do Pinewood Derby a lot. I, I went online, uh, went into my parents' house, and dug up some old pictures of different Pinewood Derby cars I had when I was a kid. So I have a lot of good memories of me and my brothers and my, uh, my friends and our troop making cars and racing them and watching my car that I spent like hours and hours painting and building crash and burn halfway down the thing and not even make it to the finish line and like I have a lot of good fun memories of failing at Pinewood Derby because I was always bad at it so I was kind of interested in having a good take on the Pinewood Derby uh, <laughs> uh, history but none of you guys went with that uh, style I do like the Wes Anderson take I think that's something that the the whimsical charm of that kind of I think applies to my memories of these events are the kind of strange characters that would exist in a Wes Anderson movie. I feel like fit pretty well into that movie, but I do feel like Bobby's. I love the, I love the parody of the biopic. So I'm definitely once again split, but this time I like that you guys have two different movies to argue about. It's not just like almost the same movie, but slightly different. <laughs> this will be a fun argument to make. Uh, I do want to follow up on what Joe said though, because he mentioned that 
it is set during the Korean, uh, there's some set to the Korean War, and there's elements where the main character uh, is having these flashbacks where he he remembers that. Uh, oh, God. He has dreams that he. <laughs> I think Jotun's actually just choking up. He's not laughing, he's, he's trying. Yeah, sorry, you know. The one chip challenge is here is getting me kind of dried in the mouth a little bit. But I, I will say, like, uh, he has flashbacks. <laughs> we'll get to it. Actually. Right. Yeah, actually, we'll get to the question. <laughs> Joe's making me laugh. So he does have flashbacks to the war and events in the war that kind of uh, inspired his life. And people kind of debate on whether or not the specific scene where uh, he kind of exits. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We're not going. This is great. This is great. Uh, you know, for the audio listeners, it's fantastic. Audio listeners cannot believe that he he has a flashback scene to where, like a dream sequence where he executes prisoners in in Korea. <laughs> it's oh. hard to say it out loud because if you haven't seen the movie, it's hard to believe it. Yeah, but it's presented as a very that. straightforward uh, biopic. But there's this whole backlog of this Korean War history, this kind of makes it very interesting. It's kind of one of the reasons that I thought it was an interesting one to pick because it has this bizarre, like, backlog of Korean War and it doesn't really make a lot of sense <laughs> to this traditional biopic. So we really wanted to see if you guys had any kind of weird commentary like that in your movie. Mine's not going to have anything to do with the Korean War, but <laughs> but I think it would be very um, Wes Anderson-like if um, Don Murphy falls asleep and has dreams that he is in war and in combat because we haven't really seen anything like that from Wes Anderson. So I think little sequences of that could be very fun and not uh, horrifying like the original. Yeah. So, yeah, mine's definitely not going to reference the Korean War, but in a same vein, it's going <laughs> to it's going to be where uh, Don Murphy, after his interaction with with the football coach, Nick Saban, He's gonna have like he's gonna dream or have like a daydream of him at war with him. So I mean, there's like a funny kind of scene about that, but uh, definitely not like an actual scene of him. I mean, this is a comedy, so you don't want really want him to, you know, execute prisoners or anything like that. Okay, yeah, I'm really interested to see. Like, I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson, and I'm a big fan of like the tour de pharmacy and. Uh, 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 Tour de Pharmacy and the Seven Days in Hell, like mockumentaries that like Andy Samberg and them have done in the past. So I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say when you fight it out. And it's kind of I'm fifty fifty right now, so it'll be curious to see who will yeah. victory. I'm excited. Two very different takes. Yeah. So I'll I'll start. Um, like I feel like Johnny started a few times on this, but um, basically my thing for Johnny is, I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing a a pitch that you're rebooting a biopic and you're using the same title as that biopic. And then you make a movie that basically has nothing to do with it other than like it, it, he's, he's just making a Wes Anderson movie. And I don't really want to see Wes Anderson do um, anything based on no, but like, why would he make a movie based on this real life event that already had a movie and not really make that story? Like he's not playing off that story as well. Then you're, you're making, Oh, it's boys and girls. I'm trying to be, 
include them both and people get kicked off if they don't it's like you're you, it I, I think you're you're losing focus of the original a little bit and just making your own entire movie where mine at least tells the story but parodies it and it's a and and we know that it, that's funny like Andy Samberg doing this is a really funny bit that works and can be an entire movie and be a funny thing you also get really tal- a really talented young actor to interact with him because he's really funny in Jojo Rabbit. He's one of the better parts of the movie. Even for people who may not have loved the tone, he's hilarious. Um, and I just, again, like your sounds like it is a Wes Anderson movie, but I don't necessarily think Wes Anderson doing anything based on an old pit, an old biopic is something that I, that I would want to see. I would rather see someone parody that because like Tristan, you have a strong connection to this, but, like, and I d- did love, like, I did a type of thing like this, not in the Boy Scouts, but we made it for our school shop, and it's a lot of fun to do it. But it is also a funny thing to poke fun at, because people could take it so seriously. And you have, you know, the people that's like, oh, this is this is for pussies. But then you have, you actually do play into it a little bit at the end with the football players all quitting to the football team to join the Boy Scouts, because it's so awesome. Like, you do get a little bit of that joy out of the Derby as well. Yeah, um, you kind of just answered your own question while talking about my movie of why would Wes Anderson, you know, why would a, a, a movie be so different? And then why would Wes Anderson do a biopic that's, you know, not like the original, like whatever the fuck you said, I don't even give a shit because your movie sounds bad. My movie is good because if you're doing a mockumentary or like a mock, not in a mockumentary, but you're mocking a biopic, right? That's your idea of the movie. Just like pop star, never stopping, just like Dewey Cox. The difference of those movies is they're not actually real characters that are in them. It doesn't make any sense for your movie to be mocking biopics by including the actual character names and actual events that happened. It's it, first of all, it keeps it off track. I'd rather see one that kind of spoofs a genre. This isn't some genre like that. Anyone is really interested in seeing being mocked. Maybe some of your football aspects, I guess, but you didn't really get into that. Um, but like, I think my, I think if you're going to do a movie like either of us are pitching, at least show some respect to the original person. I don't need to see Don Murphy hang dong, which Andy Samberg has done in every movie that you've done with these people. He's shown his dick in every movie with them. And I don't need to see that in a movie with a bunch of fucking Cub Scouts because we already know the history of some of the Cub Scouts. All right. I'm not going to see a movie about Cub Scouts and seeing a grown man show his dick. So I think Wes Anderson doing a PG-13 style comedy works better than what you're doing um, for the story that I'm telling and for the story it's based on. Yeah. It doesn't have a lot to do with the original thing, except Don Murphy is the name of the guy. So it's kind of like a, hey, you know, respect to Don Murphy. What's up? You started this. But um, other than that, it doesn't have a lot to do with it because we already got a biopic of it. I don't need, if I'm getting a mockumentary or a mocking biopic, like Dewey Cox is fantastic, but his name in that movie is not Johnny Cash. Like it doesn't make any sense for your movie to kind of do what you're doing. Um, I think your movie would have been stronger if you went away from the Don Murphy thing and just named him anything else and didn't have anything to do with the original one. It would be harder for me to knock your movie because it's definitely one I'd go see. But, you know, I, I'm going to see, if I'm going to see your film, an Andy Samberg movie, I'm going to see it for the funny songs and I'm going to download the soundtrack afterwards, like pop star. Um, I don't need to see your movie. It doesn't sound like it has any of the musical elements, which I think are the strongest parts of a lot of Andy Samberg's career. Um, 
my movie kind of gets Wes Anderson back to his roots, back to a simple story about a rivalry, um, which a lot of his films kind of are, whether you look at Rushmore um, or, you know, people kind of bonding, which is the Darjeeling Limited, which is probably Adrian Brody's best role. I want him to kind of return to form of that. This is about a Cub Scout troop bonding and really growing that relationship with West, which uh, Wes Anderson does well, um, as well as kind of just, you know, I was disappointed with um, Grand Budapest Hotel. I know a lot of people love that and the Isle of Dogs. It's like, I don't know. I haven't seen it and I haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox because I don't really care that much about his claymation style movies, um, even though I'm sure I'd enjoy them. So I want him to do a movie that is more of like a return to form, older school Wes Anderson film. I've already seen him do similar aspects very well. Um, you could have them working on cars and a saw blade goes flying and probably kills a dog based on what Wes Anderson always fucking does. With his movies is always accidentally kill a dog. That seems to be a weird theme. But, you know, you can have some of the Wes Anderson, the classic Wes Anderson humor, um, the family dynamics, like from Royal Tenenbaums. But, um, you know, you, you pull aspects from his other films, but tell an original story that's just like a nod to the real people. I don't need to see your movie that is these, the guy and then has nothing to do with the actual story. Um, there's no fucking football team involved with Don Murphy's real story. Like, that's fine. But like, I don't know. If I'm going to see a biopic of it, I'll watch the original. If I'm going to see something totally different, I'm going to see mine. Um, and and that's really it. I think I think this story fits Wes Anderson very well. When I read the pitch the, or the uh, original uh, description, because I hadn't seen the movie yet, I thought this sounded like a Wes Anderson movie. I didn't think this sounded like an Andy Samberg movie. I'm in the middle of watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and nothing in that movie tells me that yours kind of fits with the with the tone or the style that you're going for. And again, so, I don't need to see Andy Samberg's penis again. Yeah, well, just just because he's done that in some other movies doesn't mean he's going to show his penis. directors in all of his other movies. But, um, look, the reason for using his name is, so everyone knows that Dewey Cox is Johnny Cash. Everyone knows, like in those movies, yeah, you, know, you know who they are. I know they are. But with Don Murphy, you're not really showing him being an idiot in this. He ends up making something that turns the whole football team into, like he, he's actually doing something inspiring, even though it's funny. Which is not the what end. I want to see from your but, movie. I want to see them him no, be an idiot. That's what Andy no, Samberg is. No, but he's he, he does the funny things and like you like to get to it. And yeah, what he tries are is, at first are stupid, but when he what he ends up creating is great. And not and the thing is, not a lot of people know who Don Murphy is. So when you yeah, because no one gives a shit. But yeah, that's the whole point. But it it might actually get people to like, wait, was Don Murphy real? And like, read the whole like the original thing Which and like is what, what it happened. Do. But you're like, it just I I don't necessarily want to see Wes Anderson just revisit older styles from his movies or do anything that's related to real life because what he's good at is the more fantastical um, things that he does. And I don't. And even with yours, it's not really respecting Don Murphy. You do have his name in there, and they kill a dog. Like that's not that respectful. Well, that was a joke either. because Wes Anderson yeah. always gets but, but you're but right, but if you're gonna include Your the wacky humor, is not respectful hey, if you're gonna include the wacky humor, humor. I know, but I'm just taking down your argument because I think you're doing the same thing. I think it's a better than you and fitting yeah. more fitting. as far as, as, as R rated comedy that has nothing to do with the original story, but you take the names. Mine is a PG thirteen comedy oh, no, that it's can actually be at this age and um you know. People I have one like, last question here to ask Bobby. He uses a uh, lot of the original story. As I, I said, want Bobby to why? paint 
paint me your funniest scene of your movie. Like, give me a, a really funny scene with Andy Samberg doing something in, in the Pinewood Derby. Just explain to me a really funny moment in your movie. Um, so I, I gave, I mean, one of my funnier bits that I had in it was what I kind of described with the montage of him creating all these different, um, all, what his different ideas that could be safer beforehand. And you, and it leads up. So you have, okay, paper airplanes and, you know, that doesn't, doesn't quite work because they don't go anywhere. It's like one goes back and like hits one of the kids in the eye or something weird, like something like that. And then, but you lead up to this massive car crash that happens like, all right, we need something different. So I think that is a pretty funny moment. I, as far as uh, this Cub Scout leader with all these kids on a hill watching cars pile up on top of each other. Um, I think that's, that's a pretty funny moment. And then I have uh, like every interaction with him and Nick Saban because Nick Saban is this like hard ass football coach. Uh, I think just, just having that dynamic between Andy Sammer getting like scared every time he's around Nick Saban type stuff is, is funny. I think that could play off well. Um, so I kind of, I think I, I, as far as my funniest moment, I feel like I, I wrote, you know, funny moments that I had talked about uh, more in my pitch as far as like the, the montages and all the funny things that can happen when you're trying to create something and coming up with different ideas. Okay, my one my one thing before you guys make your decision because we've gone on with this long enough is I would be more interested in Bobby's movie if he did Andy Samberg is an adult that finds some scheme or loophole that he is able to be in the Cub Scouts and joins the Pinewood Derby. That is a better story for the movie that you're trying to tell. It's a better story for the directors. It's a better story for Andy Samberg being closer to like a – Billy Madison type character or his character in Hot Rod that is like his theme in all of his movies and everything he's ever done is like the man that the boy that refuses to grow up. It's the same character that he kind of always does and he does it very well. I don't want to repeat have that, but that is what he is good at. And that is what he is, you know, always shown that he does. I'm not going to take him seriously in your role. And I'd be more, and then the whole time I'd be thinking, man, this would be way funnier if it was basically like similar to his character from Hot Rod, but he is competing against all these kids to be the best. Like that sounds funny. It sounds like a better version of your movie. Mine, Wes Anderson's already shown he can do the dynamics well between characters. I'd much rather see Jeff Goldblum be this flamboyant Cub Scout uh, head that doesn't want girls allowed, even though it's clear like that this dude is like totally gay, but he refuses that. He tries to be all manly, doesn't want girls allowed in this I think that humor works well with the actors that I chose. It works well with the director I chose. I think yours, you just kind of made a pitch and then slapped on um, the rest of the people around it that don't really fit the story that you're telling. Yeah, I'd love to see another story of a gay character trying to act manly. That sounds like really funny. It is. Every time almost. <laughs> Look at Tristan. I can, I can test that. I know, that's not doing right now. I was like, I can, I can feel that. Listen right. to Tristan's again, promo right here. I think we. I think I got my mind made up. Tristan, what are your thoughts? All right, uh, it's tough. I do think that I like that Bobby tried to do a little, a little bit more towards the real story. I like that he captures a little bit of the fun of because if I, when I if I were to make a biopic about this, there's no way to make it taken very seriously, and I think that making this like a hardcore biopic would have been a downfall. And I'm glad that none of you guys did that. 
you guys both went for kind of a funner, more uh, whimsical kind of feel. And for me, I just think that I'd rather watch a Wes Anderson comedy about about this. I think he showed in Moonrise Kingdom, he could show he could do this kind of tone. And as you were describing it, I felt like I was watching Moonrise Kingdom in a kind of like a Wes Anderson take on my youth as, as that kind of like a Pinewood Derby kid. So I, I'm a big fan of the Wes Anderson take. I'm going to have to go with Johnny on my vote if you got any thoughts on it, Joe, otherwise. Yeah, uh, my thing is I love Tour de, Tour de Pharmacy. They're like Andy Samberg, you know, their whole mockumentary on the Tour de France. I love Seven Days in Hell, their mockumentary on the whole Wimbledon. Uh, and I think pound for pound, I love them better than I love Wes Anderson movies. The problem is those things, those things are only like 30, 40 minutes and much longer than that. I definitely feel like you could feel their length and like 60, 70 minutes in, you're like, this has gone on way too long. And if it would reach like 90 minutes or two hours, you'd be like, this is almost excruciating at this point. Like I get it. And I just don't know if I want to watch, you know, a 90 minute mockumentary about the creating of the Pinewood Derby when I could watch a more narrative story created by Wes Anderson with these fun, kooky characters. So I'm also going to give my vote to Johnny and the Wes Anderson. Uh, Bingo, bang. I will say, I would have been very interested to see what Wes Anderson could have done with the Korean War connections. I think he could have had a really really like strange way to take on the, the war. If he actually made this movie, there definitely would be like war sequences. He'd be, he's <laughs> so, like enough of a, like a film nerd to be like, oh, I'm definitely going to connect those weird war sequences in the first one and make them, make yeah. them funny. All right, Bobby, the other thing is, I didn't know Don Murphy was a real person, so I really had to fight for that uh, during my pitch. Didn't put the research in, didn't see the original movie, um, didn't care to. I looked up Don Murphy, and the first person that popped up was an actor, and I was like, oh, so this dude's I, I read, I read an entire freaking story on him, and I had... Yeah, that's your fault. Yeah, so... That's, I thought I was going to go for the most accurate portrayal, and then when he said Wes Anderson, I thought, well, Wes Anderson is the perfect fit. I don't know how he's the fight to go against Wes Anderson here. Yeah, I, I want to see Wes Anderson do a film like this. When I was writing it, I was like, because at first I'm like, what the fuck do I do with a Pinewood Derby Cub Scout movie? And I was like, the only director I could see making this work is Wes Anderson. So, I'm on the ropes. Hmm. Johnny wants another one. He wins. So, you got to win the next three. <sighs> There we go. I gotta go something big. Yeah, or I'm just gonna get crushed. But I, I are you moving yeah. yeah. Um. Let's let's go with the dupe. Um. And I'll go first. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. This could go either way. Uh. The but dupe. I like mine. The dupe came out in 1993. Got a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Too Danny. low. In uh, Detroit, Michigan, John Madison, played by Kevin Bacon, is an alcoholic hockey player by day, and by night he is a crime-fighting superhero known as the Duke. It's based on the image comic of the same name. What do you got? All right, so my... uh, Yeah, I'll go first. So my movie is going to be directed by Jeff Schaefer, who wrote and directed uh, The League, created The League. Um, My John Madison, the Duke, is going to be played by Nick Kroll. Uh, I have a character named Angelica Charlene, and she's going to be played by Rashida Jones. That's the love interest. Oh, wow. How did you get that name? <laughs> Don't know. Um, and then uh, for my rule, um, the villain of the movie, The Goon, is going to be played by Vin Diesel. So this movie is going to include ah. Vin Diesel. Okay. I like it. Um, all right. So this one is a shorter pitch, and it's more like 
getting the tone and like uh, kind of the, the general concept of the movie down. So John Madison is a professional hockey player suffering from alcoholism. What nobody knows is that he also fights crime at night as superhero the dupe. In this comedic superhero movie, the dupe's arch, arch rival, the goon, is threatening to freeze the city's water supply, while the dupe tries to navigate a budding romance with Angelica Char Charlene, a local news anchor. So part of the joke with Vin Diesel's character, the goon, is that he's, he's dumb. He's usually the, like, he used to be a henchman, um, and he's trying to be, like, the arch villain, you know, for this, this superhero. So he thinks his plan is, like, mastermind level, and it's, like, the most basic thing you can come up with. And doesn't even have the consequences that he thinks it would have. But the dupe knows that it would um, cost the city a lot of money, basically, to, to fix it. That's all it would do. So he's just trying to take it out. The, the mayor um, wants him to take it out because they don't want to spend all this money. Um, and so as far as the powers for the dupe, uh, he has super skates that can skate on any surface. Um, he fights with a bladed hockey stick and wears, a, wears bulletproof proof hockey pads. Um, the goon can't run very well, but has super strength. Um, and like I said, he's a, he used to be a henchman that's trying to be the mastermind now. All right. Interesting. Uh, Johnny, what is your pitch for the dupe? So Bobby kind of made a lot of his up, but I stuck closer to what the, um, the comics uh, have done. Obviously my name's Johnny dupe. I named myself basically after, um, the dupe comics. I'm a big fan of them. So that's why they call me Johnny dupe. Um, so I, I really wanted to stick with um, the Mark Millar storyline that he did. This obviously, there were Image Comics. The original version was in 1990. I thought they were fine. They're not great. They were very forgettable, just like the original movie. But in the early 2000s, Mark Millar, who is most famous for probably uh, creating Kick-Ass, did a run of the Duke comics, kind of brought the character back to life. And and I kind of stuck with what... Um, what he did with the character. So my director um, is E.L. Katz. He did a fantastic movie called Cheap Thrills, which I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, it has crazy, like, wicked violence, but also a lot of good humor. Um, it shows the desperation of people. Great film. Um, he also worked uh, on some superhero things. He did a few episodes in the new Swamp Thing show, as well as uh, he did, uh, he was one of the directors in the sequel to the ABCs of Death. Um, which had a lot of good uh, little indie directors that worked on that. Um, so my John Madison slash the Duke, that's going to be played by Wyatt Russell because I needed someone who could actually skate and play hockey, unlike Nick Kroll. Um, and also, uh, and he was an overlord in 22 Jump Street. Um, and I thought he was fine in Overlord, but I thought he was hysterical in 22 Jump Street. And I've seen him in some other roles. And I thought, um, even though I was a little disappointed with Overlord, thought he was, uh, he's impressed me as an actor. Um, and my villain, um, the Duke's main villain, his name is Claude Frost. That's going to be played by Vin Diesel as well. So we used the, we, we've been pairing up on some rules here um, on this. But he fits the, the villain role um, very well. Uh, if you know what Claude Frost is, like this big goon who kind of looks like Vin Diesel. He's bald. Oh, he's he, a uh, goon? Never... What? That's, he's a goon? That's my villain's name. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, it, it's, you know. So he looks like a goon, but his name is Claude Frost. I mean, come on. You don't even have his main villain in the movie. It's like making Superman without Lex Luthor. Um, so John Madison is a struggling semi-professional hockey player playing for the Philadelphia Quakers, um, which the original comics were set in Detroit, and that's where the movie was. But the big famous run um, by Mark Millar was set in Philadelphia, um, which I always uh, preferred anyway. So although he was once touted as one of the top prospects in hockey, his career 
has always been held back by his alcohol abuse. One night after a game, he is drunk at a bar and goes out to the street to take a piss because the bathroom is occupied. He sees a man assaulting a young woman in the alley. John interrupts and beats the shit out of the assailant. Um, he pulls his shirt over his head. He punches him in the face. Good old hockey fight, but he beats the shit out of this guy. This makes John feel good. Better than he's felt in a long time. He feels like for once in his life, he did something for someone else, not just something for himself. So he decides to try and start fighting crime on the streets of Philadelphia. Donning a makeshift superhero costume made up mostly of hockey gear, he becomes the dupe. Um, He starts fighting low-level criminals at night, and because of his fighting ability, has some success. Before too long, however, he bites off a little more than he can chew. He breaks up a drug duel, or drug duel, drug deal, um, but is uh, then discovered by a local gang leader. Sorry, these, not great for uh, podcasts because they make you a little gassy. El Chavo, um, shout out. They're good. But they're so fucking good. Um, so he, I lost my spot. God damn it. Okay. He uh, breaks up a drug duel, a drug deal. God damn it. I've struggled with that word. But is then discovered by a local gang leader. Um He's a very large, short-spoken man named Claude Frost, played by none other than Vin Diesel. Um, The trouble really starts for John when Claude Frost finds out his secret identity and starts to send hitmen disguised as hockey players to him uh, during games. This sets up for fun fight scenes before, after, and during games, just like the comics. Um, The Duke must find the hideout of Claude Frost and his gang and take them out before they get to John's family. Uh, The film ends the same way as Miller's comic book run, the Duke slitting Frost's neck with a skate. So that is uh, is my movie. Um, if you've seen Cheap Thrills, it's similar to that tone. Um, kind of a similar tone to Kick-Ass. For any, you guys probably seen that as far as the violence level goes, but it's obviously a little different than um, Matthew Vaughn. So a little different style, but same like level of violence. R-rated uh, superhero movie. All right. Uh... I just got a question for both of you. I'll let Tristan answer his question or ask his question after. So, uh, at the t- uh, Red Wings captain at the time in 1993, Steve Eisenman had a memorable cameo in the, ri- the original. Uh, do either of yours have uh, any kind of cameos? And I'll start with Johnny. Yeah, mine's going to have a cameo um, uh, by the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers because mine takes place in Philadelphia. It's going to be played by Claude Giroux, um, obviously, because that's who he is. So, he's going to make a Make a cameo. People aren't going to really know him, but people didn't really know Steve Eiserman as well. Hockey was a little popular, like more popular in the 90s, but Eiserman didn't really become like a big, big name until, you know, a few years later than that when he started being like, yo, I can score like 200 points a year. So that's kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so with mine, it's going to be basically um, like – you're going to have, you're going to have like random cameos. Like if they, throughout the movie, you're going to have uh, his team play other teams in the league, like in the NHL or at least, well in his league, but it's going to be, there's going to be cameos throughout. Like there's going to be one that's Ovechkin, uh, one that Sidney Crosby, just kind of random characters that pop in. Basically they're not going to focus on it, but you're, they're going to be there. Like they'll be at the face off against him or something. Okay. And uh, Tristan, do you got any questions for them? Yeah, I do have a question. Johnny mentioned a bit about the original comics and how, especially how the first uh, few runs of it weren't that well received. And I have a kind of a interesting answer for that. Uh, originally, the dupe was created as an antagonist for uh, Black Thunder, who we covered a bit on the show before. 
who was a character, <laughs> and uh, the dupe was was uh, essentially uh, a, entranced by white lightning to become a follower, essentially, and he used and white lightning used the dupe to blackmail uh, people into joining his cult and following him. So essentially, he'd use sports broadcasts to. Okay, cut to the chase. No, that's not my movie. It's not obvious. So I want to know, essentially, you guys, we talked about Black Thunder. So are you guys going to attribute Black Thunder in any way? Are you going to have any references to Black Thunder? It's an iconic comic book. The closest thing you're going to have in this movie is maybe the Tampa Tampa Bay Lightning. That's the closest (laughs) thing you can get to Thunder. (laughs) And Johnny tried to be so accurate to the comics, but he's not even referencing the actual origin of the character in any way. The Mark Millar run did not have any references to Black Thunder. Also, the original one died because it had any ties to it, and so I stuck with the kind of reinventation of the character, the one that anybody nowadays knows, not the ones that don't hold up from the uh, from the Because you love his his comic so much, you uh, his name is even though it's spelled like that, it is Mark Miller. If for anyone who wants to like find him and talk to him, that is his. Yeah, name. it's Mark. It's it's Mark Miller, but it's A R, so that's how you have to, you know, kind of look him up. But yeah, I've I've never actually heard his name said out loud. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever read it. I just kind of wanted to say that because not everyone mispronounces his name. So uh, shout out to John Schnepp who uh, confirmed that. And who was another director on ABC's of Death? That's right, he was. Yeah. All right, yeah. So that was both of our questions. So I'm just going to let you guys put it out. Uh, so I guess I'll start. So my, my thing with this is the dupe, like you said, the original run wasn't taken very seriously. Mark Miller's take on it, like it, it did fine. And like, it does have a famous run, but translating this concept to a movie should not be taken seriously. It shouldn't have a darker kind of edge that it seems like yours have with, with the, like the drug deal. Mine's the tone of like kick-ass, which I think is the same tone comic book wise. Same level of violence, same level of kind of seriousness, um, which is not but, a ton, but it has some aspects of it. Kick-Ass take, does take itself seriously, and I don't think that's the right – like, if you just took – okay, we have a super superhero hockey player. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that's the best fit is to go where it is like, oh, like, Kick-Ass takes itself seriously and then has a couple, like, the ridiculous action scenes and stuff, and that's when it's not quite as serious. And, like um, – but – I, I just don't think that fits. I think a more straight up comedic, like, okay, this is a superhero hockey player. He has hockey powers. He's fighting someone that's the goon. It's Vin Diesel, um, like, like yours, but you're trying to make Vin Diesel actually scary as a villain. And I feel like people won't, they, they think of him just as fast as the furious and that. I don't really think he can be an actual kind of menacing villain. I think it'd be kind of funny to see him um, in this role rather than yours because we're using the same role same rule um and he fits the the type like you said he looks like a goon and that's why you cast him and my character is called the goon uh i like the the henchman trying to turn into the mastermind that's why i didn't go with with yours because no one really like this isn't a famous comic book so you don't really need to um neither was neither was and they strayed away from those quite a bit they're not like the comic books they they adapted them a yeah, lot mine was too, and, just right, but, right. and so you have a someone who you who was a henchman to maybe to maybe his arch enemy at, at beforehand and then he's trying to do this stupid ridiculous plot 
Uh, and I just think the comedy elements, I think Nick Kroll is a funny lead because you can make him with like a missing tooth and make him look like a real yeah. funny type type guy uh, to to be the superhero. Um, especially when you do have yeah, a lot of Jewish hockey players, Bobby, a lot of guys who look like Nick Kroll in the NHL who can't uh, skate or play I mean, hockey. Yeah. In a comedy. Yeah. It really doesn't matter too much with this, but I just, yeah, like, I, like, uh, you're taking a like hockey, hockey player superhero and trying to turn it a little bit too serious for the take that I think it should go for personally. Okay. Yours sounds more like superhero movie with Drake Bell. Like that is your level of comedy that I feel like yours is going for. And it just sounds terrible. Mine is going for a good, a good tone of something that I'd be interested. It's more like super, the smaller superhero movie that is dark, but it has plenty of comedy in it, but it has a lot of violence. And that's what I want to see from this because that's how the comic books are. Yours. I don't know where your tone is at. I can't get a a fix on it. There's no way that your movie would get licenses from the NHL to use real teams in it. So that's why I went with um, semi-professional like the comics that he was never, no that's, alcoholic yeah, hockey player is making it to the league. Like that was I a big part of the comics. The thing, yeah. the thing that always held him back from being a professional or big time superstar was his alcoholism. So I think my movie, again, like you're saying my movie has too serious of tones and it should be this fun comedy. The comics deal with alcoholism and death and violence and um, loss. And that's what my movie is going to deal with. Yours is stripping away all the heart of anything ever created. And you're putting the guy who um, produced, uh, who's first of all, never directed a cinematic movie as far as I'm concerned, right? Jeff Schaefer, he made the league, which is a fantastic show. And it's the only thing that's ever been made that Nick Kroll is good in. Nick Kroll, the Nick, the Kroll show was the most unwatchable thing ever put on TV. His comedy, uh, his standup is terrible. He is funny in real life, but he wants to play these real funny characters. If your movie was actually made with Nick Kroll, he would be doing like a love guru type character. Like if you've ever seen his standup or the other things he's done. And Jeff Schaefer, he did the league, but he produced the dictator. He produced Bruno. Like he no, no, made. He made the 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 Bruise Brothers, I think it's called, which is on Netflix, which is unwatchable. I went to watch it because it had um, some of the same people as the league, um, and it was Jeff Schaefer. So I was like, "Oh, I'll check this out." That show was unwatchably terrible. It was it was bad. Jeff Schaefer is is kind of a niche thing. He's not a good director. He is a better creator. um, I I'd say. And, and I like him in real life. I love the league. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, but I don't need the league turned into a, a hockey uh, a, a movie. Um, I don't really get your, your movie just sounds so all over the place. It doesn't sound like a real film. It sounds like a TV movie. What it sounds like to me is one fans of the league will, I think flock to it because you have the creator and you have the star, but what I'm going to is nowadays and has been on the air recently. Okay. But I'm no. fans who liked that show. There are a lot of people who liked that show that like things. I did too, but yours are yeah. bad. And I'm so not, he I'm also did. Good. He also uh, wrote and directed Euro Trip, which it has some which very was memorable one of the worst movies, movies ever made. But it's Euro a cult Trip classic. Is it's, a, it's a cult classic. Right, I think okay. I have my point. Point. I I have point with Euro Trip. We're off the point of the director, but basically what I'm going for is you're you're you are trying to take 
you are trying to take something with a very goofy premise. And I just don't, again, I don't think your tone, I don't think your tone works. I don't think Vin Diesel can be an actually intimidating villain because not a lot of people take him seriously unless he's like a voice actor at this point. So using him in a more comedic role, I think would be better for his career. I think he'd be better uh, as a dynamic between him and Nick Kroll. Those two against each other is bizarre and funny. And I would love to see that. It's not funny because have you ever seen Vin Diesel try to be funny? He can't be like, he works better as the straight man um, in he this movie as the, as the bad man. guy. Yeah, but your movie, like, oh, my right, God. Have you seen Vin Diesel's Instagram? Man, he here. tries to be funny on there. It's unwatchable. Nick Kroll is not funny, like, outside of the league. He is great as I, I think, I think they have there. Yeah. And he can't skate. Don't cast people who can't skate. My guy plays hockey. Tristan, what are your what are your what how, what are you feeling? Well, I don't care if they can skate or not. I'm not going to notice if it's fake skating. You don't because... notice if it's on screen. You, it's very <laughs> noticeable on screen when guys can't or can. Very Look, comedy. He doesn't have to. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I do think guy. that a comedy is probably a good direction to go on this one. I think it's a rather ridiculous premise when you've seen enough. Like I think Johnny just kind of feels a little bit inseparable from other superhero movies. Like he has a little bit that makes him stand out, but otherwise this feels more like any other kind of attempt to do a superhero franchise right now. Uh, I think Bobby's the comedic tone is what really sets it apart from stuff. And I think I'd probably go for Bobby's just, just because it feels different for me. I've seen so many superhero films that all feel very, very the same, and I want one that. How? What does this feel similar to, other than maybe Stop one interrupting the judgments? That's what makes us go. <laughs> so it's wrong. wrong. Who who so makes no, the final call? Really, I'm not making the final call, but I'm just thinking. You know, I'd rather go see Bobby's. It sounds funnier. It sounds, and yeah, I think sorry. if if Johnny's gonna act like he's so accurate to the comics, he needs to at least be accurate to the real origin of the character in some way. Have some reference to Black what Thunder. He loves Black Thunder so no. much. But a, you can't even include right, Black Thunder in his pitch. Fight, so my, my my pick goes to Bobby, but I don't I don't know the final call. Alright, so my thing Could is have done think, more Black Thunder. I think Johnny went too serious. I think Bobby went too goofy. And but my thing is Mine had a mix of both. I don't know what makes people think mine is so Johnny, serious. Stop. But my thing is when I'm evaluating what movie I'd rather see, the thing with Bobby's. I feel like Bobby's like I'm gonna make mine a comedy, and mine's gonna ha- be like from the director of like We're the Millers or something, and it's gonna be Jason Sudeikis. I'd be on board, and I think you'd have that. this point locked up. But I just feel like he has a director that hasn't really ever directed a movie before, and directed a very niche show with a lead who's never really led a good movie before. It's hard for me to be like, oh, this is what I'd rather see. I like Wyatt Russell. I think he's an up-and-coming person. I haven't seen Cheap Thrills, but it's at least someone who's directed competent movies before. And so with that, I have to give the point to Johnny, and Johnny gets to win. So at this point, Bobby is just fighting for Johnny not to get any repeater rules when they face each other again. And see Well, I think that's going to be tough to do, but I'm going to pitch hard. Suck it. <laughs> Split the um, judges there. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I've like I've split the judges on a few of them. Usually, actually, Tristan has liked my pitches, so <laughs> I just like pitched to the wrong judge, apparently. Yeah. And so, what are uh, we going to next, Bobby? Doing uh, well. What are we doing uh, Link Skywalker. 
Uh, let's just get it out of the way. Um, let's do Link Skywalker. All right. Uh, Bobby's favorite movie is Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll go first on this one. Yeah, I'd love to get your personal connection. Right, I'm going to real quick while you do that. I can hear you. All right. Link Skywalker came out in 2003, has 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, a quiet, simple story about Mitchell Roberts, played by Hugh Jackman, who is forced to give up his dream of being a guitar player in a rock band. He takes a job as an accountant to take care of his mentally challenged brother, John, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who only answers to the name Link Skywalker. Okay. All right. So this movie, uh, surprisingly enough, I had never seen it, um, which is weird because my handle is the same. But honestly, I just combined the most popular characters from two of my favorite franchises, which is Zelda and uh, Star Wars. So it, it makes sense that, some, that this has been used before. Um, so I was interested. Uh, but I don't think that the original one was really that appealing to me. But because the name is so personal, I wanted to make this a movie that only I would watch. Um, so that's what I went with for my rule. And I think it's me and a very small group of people that would actually uh, enjoy this movie and, and actually be interested in going to see it, I guess I should say. Um, so my directors are going to be Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz, who did The Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, and that's because my two lead character, my lead actors are Shia LaBeouf and Zach Gottsagan, who are the leads in that movie. Um, and because I, I feel like using an actually mentally challenged, um, actor for this role, uh, is pretty important. Um, so let's get into why this is something only I would watch. After major success on his band's debut album, Ocean Avenue, Benjamin Harper of Yellow Card is kicked out of the band before their second album after getting, getting into a feud with lead singer Ryan Key. On top of that, his mom becomes ill so she can no longer take care of his mentally challenged brother, John. Because of his, of his obsession with Star Wars and, and Nintendo games, John only responds to the name Link Skywalker. Ben takes odd jobs and teaches guitar to get by, um, but, it keeps, but it keeps him close to home to take care of his brother. At first, he views taking care of him as a burden, keeping him from his dream of being in a band and writing songs. One day, Ben picks up his guitar in front of John as a distraction and starts playing. Suddenly, John comes in and sits diligently listening. Ben continues and starts playing what we now know as Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. Ben and his, bro- and his brother bond over the music, and it's something that calms him down when he likes an idea. When he doesn't like the idea, he starts to act up. We see Ben write songs like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Mr. Brightside, Make Damn Sure, Sugar We're Going Down, and other alternative hits from the early 2000s. Ben shows his song to, to bands of the time and sells them uh, and sells them his songs. He's found his new passion of being a songwriter. Ben continues to write and take care of John and form the record label, the Harper Brothers. There you go. All right. Uh, that's a pitch. Yep. Uh, I that soundtrack. Johnny. What do you um, Okay. Well, my movie doesn't have um, Shia LaBeouf in it um, because that's a problem. Weird to cast him right now. Um, but here's what um, my movie does have. The same directors. Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz, who did the Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, this was basically, I said before the show, This is there's only two directions you can go with this. And I thought you could either set this with the, in the 80s when it was still okay to cast um, actors who didn't have uh, mental disorders with mental disorders. Or you could cast someone, uh, or you could actually write a role for someone who is an actor with uh, Down syndrome. So, yeah, uh, my John slash Link Skywalker is John Gatsagan. Uh, from uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon, but I don't have a uh, sexual assault uh, 
uh, person like uh, Shia LaBeouf. My lead, uh, Mitchell Roberts, is uh, Sebastian Stan, um, probably most notable for uh, being in The Winter Soldier or for playing The Winter Soldier. But he was really good in um, uh, The Devil All the Time, which was the Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson movie that just came out on uh, Netflix a little while ago. Um, I think he's a good actor, kind of transfer transform into any role. He can be serious. He can be funny. Um, I really like Sebastian Stan, very underrated uh, guy in Hollywood nowadays. So here's my pitch. Guitarist Mitchell Roberts is on tour with his band Egg Yolk when he receives a call from his mother. Uh, she tells him she's dying and all she wants uh, from Mitchell is to reconnect with his brother, John. Mitchell and John grew apart as they aged because John has Down syndrome um, and was never able to find steady work due to his condition and Mitchell uh, wanted to be a big star. Uh, Mitchell has been in the music industry for a long time and decides he should honor his mother's final wish. He goes back uh, to his old home to find John. Mitchell gets frustrated with his brother because he refuses to be referred to as anything besides Link Skywalker. John's room is covered wall to wall in comic, uh, Star Wars, and video game posters. John explains he has been saving his money to try and travel to the uh, San Diego Comic-Con to meet his hero who will be there, Harrison Ford. After uh, a lot of back and forth, Mitchell decides to take a road trip to California to make his uh, dream of meeting Harrison Ford come true. Throughout the film, John has dreams uh, that he meets famous characters played by Harrison Ford. He's visited his dreams by Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Jack Ryan, and John's personal favorite, Jack Trainer from Working Girl. Um, the movie is a heartfelt uh, road trip comedy, um, and and I think it, uh, it sounds like a movie I would definitely go see. I just recently watched Peanut Butter Falcon yesterday, and I thought it was amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to have to relook at my top 100 movies of the decade to possibly put that in there. So All right. uh, that's my pitch. So I have – my question is basically – uh, a lot of people compared the first one to Rain Man and said it's very similar and partially even maybe even a ripoff. So my question for both of you is how do you distance yourself from Rain Man so people don't have the same comparison? I think the biggest distancing you can do from Rain Man is actually casting um, an actor that has the condition that you're portraying. Yeah, Rain Man came out in the 80s, so like back then it was socially acceptable to put Dustin Hoffman as this autistic guy. But nowadays, even like... There's a movie coming out, um, and I forget the name of it, but it portrays an autistic woman, um, a young girl who's autistic, and they cast someone who doesn't suffer from that, and it's getting a lot of backlash for it. So I think just distancing it from casting, uh, Bobby and I both did this with casting it, um, um, Zach uh, Gatsigan, who, who does have Down syndrome, does enough to separate itself, I think. Um, other than that, though, storyline wise, it's OK to have some references like the old one did, um, while some people claimed it was a ripoff because it had, you know, elements of it. I, I think having a road trip element um, to it is like a, a shout out to a to a good movie that was very of its time, but kind of updated modern audiences. All right. All right. Uh, Tristan, do you have a question for them? Or wait, Bobby. I, didn't yeah, Bobby, if you want yeah, to I mean, I mean, same answer as far as distancing, distancing itself, as far as casting. I mean, it, um, so that's really simple. Like, and same vein, like you can reference old movies and have similar concepts where, yes, he's very good at picking out what song will be a hit, but that's not enough to be a big reference to Rain Man. That's like, oh, they're just doing Rain Man again. Um, so, yeah. 
Tristan. Yeah, I haven't seen this movie, but I have read the book that it's based on. It's based on a, a memoir written by a family. And there's a, there's a really famous story in this memoir where Link declares to his family that he's only going to communicate to them through Star Wars quotes. So instead of fighting it back, the family plays along. And for almost an entire year, they speak to each other in nothing but Star Wars quotes. That's a cool little anecdote that I thought was fun. And I heard they didn't include it very well in the original movie, so I wanted to see if you guys in any way paid tribute to that Star Wars quote storyline. Is that too... Or I, I can start it if you want. Uh, you, you, know, can go, um, you start, Bobby. Either yeah, way. Yeah, so, um, I mean, that's part of... So, can I just get something out of the way? One, I didn't hear anything about the Shia LaBeouf things, so as far as... I'd like to throw that out because when I cast this movie, maybe that didn't happen. I mean, if I'm casting a movie and knew that he, he wouldn't be in it, but... I loved the relationship that he had with Zach, Zach and Sagan in the movie. And that's what I want to portray. Um, so fine. If you don't want to use him, use someone else that can do that. But when you have someone that can portray that fantastic relationship between the two of them, um, yes, they're going to talk to each other at moments in star Wars quotes. And that's how, or star Wars and Zelda references are going to, because I mean, that's the name of the movie. So clearly it has to have something to do with it. Um, and so you're going to have sweet moments of them bonding um, bef- you know, before the music stuff of like, okay, that's how I can communicate with you. Uh, you know, in, in the, at this time, if you're having tra- problems, I can say the do or do not, there is no try. I can say the, you know, I'm altering the deal type things. If he has to tell him to, to, you know, not do something type of stuff. Like you, you, you can definitely include those quotes. Yeah. First of all, Bobby, um, FK Twigs is an actress who worked with Shia LaBeouf on one of his, uh, most recent films I'm forgetting the name of. Um, she is suing him for sexual battery, assault, and uh, infliction of emotional distress. So he is uh, uh, not exactly the most castable person in, in Hollywood right now. But away from that point, to answer the question, um, part of the, the first part of the road trip, the um, the John is only going to communicate with well, Link, I guess, is only going to communicate with Star Wars quotes because he doesn't feel close to his brother. So that's going to be a way of um, distancing himself from him. So he's only going to talk in that. It's going to frustrate Mitchell um, until they kind of build that relationship further and they actually start communicating. Um, I think that's a good way to kind of throw a callback to the memoirs, um, but also kind of change it to be more like a little more cinematic and go into the themes of what I'm going for with mine. All right. And then Tristan, do you have any other questions? That was all I had. I, I really liked both those answers. It was something that was interesting in the original story. There's a lot of really interesting anecdotes in the story. So I'd be interested to hear some of your guys just general little little moments when you guys get in the arguments, just some of your moments that you wanted to capture in your movie. All right. And then Bobby, my one thing for you that you can kind of defend in your arguments is your rule was cast a movie only you would want to watch. And in our top 20 movies of 2020, I listed Peanut Butter Falcon as my number 20 movie, and you pulled the directors and the two main stars. So I need you to defend more how this is a movie only you would want to watch. Yeah, so what I wanted to do... Yeah, I'll I'll start with that to get into it, because what I wanted to do is... So cast someone that's... like, Like, I love that movie, so I'd like to see them do something, but I think being so specific to a genre of music that is very outdated at this point is going to turn almost everyone off from the movie. I mean, peanut butter Falcon is, is a niche movie in itself already. Like that's not a widely seen movie. 
Um, it, the people that have seen it love it, but it, you know, you have to draw people in to see it. And I don't think that this concept is going to draw very many people in, even though for me, it's like, wait, you're actually bringing in the real guitarist from yellow card story of him getting kicked out of the band, but then he has to take care of his brother and they write all these songs that are hits that right now, like, you know, I pulled out some of the big ones because you can, but it's going to have a lot of very niche songs that only I would love it. Like that are on my phone. Basically it's like, this is, this was a hit to me and stayed a hit type stuff. So it's more the the concept. Cause like I said, even peanut butter Falcon, very, very small audience. It already is limited. Now you're taking that same concept and limiting it even more because you're taking a, such a niche concept that not a lot of people will even, you know, remember at this point of like, oh, those, oh yeah, those were songs. Yeah, my, my thing with that is I agree with Joe. Like I just saw Peanut Butter Falcon for the first time based on Joe's recommendation of it. And I'm going to go see whatever movie is coming out with these directors. If you say from the directors of Peanut Butter Falcon, I'm going to go see it. I, it doesn't matter if it has yellow card song. It's not like yellow card is like Nickelback where most of the world has agreed that they are the worst to ever be made. I don't think their music holds up very well, but Ocean Avenue is a good song. You know, I'm not a big uh, Yellow Card fan, but that's not going to turn me off in a movie. It's not like they're playing Fall Out Boy. Like if I go see a movie and Fall Out Boy is playing, I, I literally mentioned a, literally mentioned a, a Fall Out Boy song though. Like the the recent Fall Out Boy ones. I mean, even them, like Sugar, we're going down and Dance Dance and all that is is fine. Like, but even that, like, okay, if I go see a movie and it plays music that I don't like. If it's directed well, if it has good directors, if it has um, chemistry between the main stars, I don't give a shit about the the music that's in it. Like, that's not niche enough to me. Um, I mean, I get that you say that the, the um, Peanut Butter Falcon was no, like, big budget movie. It was a very indie film. But because it was so good, I would go see any movie that these guys make, you know, regardless of music. So I, I disagree with you that it's a movie. I think Joe and I would both see your movie. I don't think it's a movie that only you would want to see. Um, it's not like you took a property that only you have ever seen before um, out of the three of us um, and pitched a movie based on that and that fucking lost. But, um, you know, I, I it could have been better for your movie if you just want a little more niche, if you want with maybe directors that didn't make movies that, um, you know, Joe and I both like Joe literally had it in his top 20, like he said. So I don't think this is a movie just for you. I think um, the thing is, I think this story is actually something that could be a heartfelt story between, you know, no matter how different than you are, you can connect with them. Um, I think there's a lot, like Tristan mentioned the memoirs um, of the real story. You know, they were very far apart, uh, these two brothers, and then they grew closer to each other. Um, and and I think mine just tells that story a little better. Um, I know your is, yours is going for a film that only you would see, but I'm going for a film that people would enjoy. Um, it, it's a film that maybe will get more notoriety after, especially, um, you know, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Zach uh, Gatsigan. Um, I'm not really sure how to say his name. They both... Uh, I think they, it's Gatsigan. Uh, Gatsigan. They um, awarded an Oscar at the last Oscars. It kind of got the movie more on the map. I think it's become a bigger um, streaming film. It's definitely a bigger hit now than it was when it came out in theaters. I think it does appeal to a larger audience than, than you might think it does if you attach that name to it. But um, 
it just sounds like as far as like the heart of a movie, I want to see a movie like this be heartfelt. I want to see a movie like this um, tell a good story of two brothers uh, connecting kind of a better updated 2021 version of what Rain Man did. That is a very similar um, film as far as uh, story structure goes, even to the real life story of this family. Um, and I want to kind of see an updated version of that. I don't mind updated versions of stories that we've seen before. Taxi Driver and King of Comedy are two of my favorite movies of all time, but I loved Joker because it was like a 2020 version of stories of those movies. So I don't mind um, taking, you know, even films that are kind of close to the original or close to another movie and taking a lot from those and keeping it uh, up to date. So I just think mine sounds like just a better movie. I would see yours. I would see mine and mine would be more enjoyable. So here's, here's my thing. So yours, I don't want, I don't necessarily want um, these guys to do another road trip type, like just continue on that same path with one of the same actors and do the same road trip type movie. I would rather see them branch off or do something with where you continue with the same actor, tell a different story, same actor. Yeah. But tell a different story. Um, rather than tell the same story. I'd rather see the same actors than see the same story personally. But as far as movie only for me, like, look, yeah, we are a very small crowd that knows these guys. When you put a name to something like, like, like no, no one knows who these guys are, at least not yet. If they make an, if they go on to make a few more hits, yes, but this is, that's literally the only movie they've ever, they've ever made. So yeah, like, okay, we'll, a couple film fans maybe at least like the people in it and be, but they might be turned off by the genre. I think it is enough of a story. The story itself is something only I would want to see told, not necessarily the people, you know, making it, but you, it's, it's about as niche and as small as you can go. It's people that have made one movie. It's an actor that, that has been in one movie and then Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. He, he has some controversy right now. So maybe I would be the one to see that. Cause I didn't know about the controversy. So yeah, I'm the only one who would want to see that because I didn't know he has anything going on. But it, it would be a sweet story. It would be it would, show the, it would be the writing process of songs, which some people find very boring and I find really interesting, um, especially if coming from the guitarist's point of view. Um, and you start with a song that is very guitar driven and then go on from there. You uh, use the actual guitarist from yellow card from only one of their albums that I knew because I liked him and play like all the solos, random stuff. Like that's only intriguing to me, that name, the Ben Harper name, like no one knows who that is. So to me, that pulls me in right away just because of that. Other people are like, I don't know what this is at all. He's only like, he was only with a band that's, that was big for an album. Um, so I think I did make a movie that only I would want to see, but one that I think I would love. Um, and look, if other people saw it, would some people like it? Yeah, I'm sure because these guys make good movies, but I'm not going to make a bad movie that I would be the only one that likes. I would have liked your movie that you pitched too, that you would only want to see. It would be fun and funny, but it wouldn't draw me in. And I think that's the whole point. You Making a movie that only you want to see is something that would draw you in to actually watch the movie based on the plot, based on the story, not the people involved. Because the people involved with yours have made things that are very popular like the the flight of the concord stuff like yeah that's a really that is a popular and funny thing i've watched some of their stuff now it is a it's really funny i would i would probably go see that but it wouldn't draw very many people in i think that's the point of the rule okay my my thing with it is this i think when you go for um 
this rule. I pitched a movie that would have a small audience and that none of you have seen the um, original property and I lost. You pitched a movie that would have a small audience, but probably all three of us would see. I don't think you use the rule well, but to get off that, because that's been most of the fight, I'd rather see a movie that um, just like, as far as mine goes, I think mine fits the directors better as far as their style. I think it fits the actors better. Um, it, it will, you know, Peanut Butter Falcon was a good introduction of um, uh, Zach Gottsagen, but this would kind of give him more to do. I really want to see his interactions with Harrison Ford as his favorite characters. I want to see him be like, the excited fanboy meeting these characters in his dreams. I think those would be great scenes. And I think it would be a great scene at, you know, when they finally get to Comic-Con, they finally get to the front of line to meet Harrison Ford and everyone's bringing Indiana Jones posters and Han Solo posters and, you know, Blade Runner stuff for Harrison Ford to sign in after all of this waiting in line to see this big actor, Zach Getzegan comes up there with oh, a poster of work, of work, uh, of working girl, um, and has and has Harrison Ford. So wait, I, I missed something. Hold on. As far as rule choice, because you've been hitting on my rule use, I missed that whole thing. You're he's actually Harrison Ford. He's not a character made famous by Harrison Ford. At the at the end, he's Harrison Ford. They meet the real Harrison Ford, but throughout the whole movie, every time um, John. Uh, or Link falls asleep. He has dream sequences where he's actually meeting the real characters that Harrison Ford has portrayed. So he is meeting Han Solo, and it's Harrison Ford as Han Solo. It's Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, and he is meeting um, him playing those characters. So I, yeah, while know, your movie had him kind of. I think, I think those are both questionable rule choices. That's all I have to say. No. All right. Uh, Tristan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, questionable rule choices. I think especially, uh, well, Bobby's, I thought initially when he was reading his pitch, I was like, this is not that niche. Like, I know people who would want to watch this, but he listed bands and songs that I like and I'd, I would like to see movies about. But specifically, I think the origin story of this specific yellow card guitarist is something that I have no interest in at all. <laughs> so I think that kind of maybe went over a little bit more towards Bobby's side. Because even as somebody who's a fan of this genre, I'm not personally invested in seeing the story of this guy. And if Bobby is, that is kind of points for his being only something he'd watch. Because even as a fan, I'm not interested. So I'm a little bit leaning towards Bobby. I think it's a good use of the rule. It's something that I think is very specifically him that is in plausible ability to be made. But I think it feels much more like a movie he'd only want to watch. So I'm, I'm giving this, my thoughts to Bobby, but I'm not making the final call. I just wanted to give my, my thoughts hearing after hearing you guys fight that I'm leaning towards Bobby. All right. So my thing is, as far as like tone and everything, your movies, like this, your storylines are a little different, but as far as like tone, your movies are pretty similar. You basically have identical casts. And so, and like as far as storyline goes, like I, I like both storylines. I think both storylines could be interesting. That's kind of even for me for what I like better. So to me, it came down to rule choice. And my whole thing with Bobby's is like the whole thing with the brother and writing the songs, like that sounded interesting to me, whether it's based on like a real guy or you know, real whether they make songs that we already know or they make up new songs for the movie. doesn't really matter to me. Either way, it sounded interesting. You took the cast and directors from a movie I literally put at number 20 on our top 20 movies of the decade list. 
So it's hard for me to be like, oh, this is a movie only Bobby would want to see when I'm reading that. And if like that wasn't your rule choice and you just gave me like a list of like 20 rules that I would not be like, oh, that's a movie only Bobby would want to see. I feel like that's just kind of a general kind of movie that would interest most people. And then with Johnny's, I feel like his, with how he used his rule choice was kind of an interesting kind of creative choice of like it's Harrison Ford characters but they appear like in dream sequences but it's still that character and I thought that was like an interesting use of the rule and so with that I had to give uh, the point to Johnny Damn, right. have, big runaway here I, I, yeah I do have to note that if Tristan had been the the mm-hmm. judge it would be tied right now <laughs> just so Tristan's only speaking yeah. you because he faces me next time Every other episode that Tristan has been judged, he usually, or like consultant judge, he's always like, oh, Johnny's movie sounds better. Yeah, you got but terrified, now all terrified of Johnny's movies. Like, They're always the worst yeah. ones. It's, all I know is it's going to be yeah. really hard to pitch this whole movie. I've, I've already now have the repeater rule against me. So, I mean, if we want to make this last one quick, I don't want to make yeah, if we want to make it quick, I'm good with that because uh, this has been a slaughter. We want to just make a rule right here. There's no debating. You guys pitch. We make our call, and that's yeah. the game. Just just read our pitches. All right. Maybe a quick back and forth. No, don't no, do no, 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 with you. no back and that, forth. Just just read the pitch. Okay, that, I mean that's it's, fine. you already, you already won. On that, Paul said something that I'm kind of agreeing with. It says stop yeah. using the movie only you would like. It's way too hard to win. A fight. I said that earlier to do earlier because yes, you have to make a movie good enough to win a fight, but bad, but only, but niche enough that only you only you would like. I like. You, yeah, you know, I, I, there, was, there was no um, better argument than I had for my movie to win that role, and I lost it. So yeah, I agree. That was my point earlier in our text chain, and I'm glad to. I'd say abolish the rule. Person. That rule's gone. If it's ever brought back, just remind the people that brought it back that it's dead. Because I'll probably try to bring it back because I forgot that we killed All it. All right. Last but movie, Joe. For last movie, Bobby, who's going first? I'm voting Bobby on this We're one. just reading pitches, so I can go first. All right. So from Austin with Love from 2001, got a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes and directed by Frank Darabont. Miles, played by Tom Cruise, is the best high school literature teacher in Austin, Texas. He is anxious and unhinged, and he wants to change. One day he meets Betty, played by Reese Witherspoon. She is a doctor who specializes in toes. The two fall in love and travel the world, all while being chased by Betty's ex-boyfriend, played by Brian Cranston, who has been to prison for tax evasion. Over the course of the movie, he changes for Betty and himself. All right. So to start, so my my director um, is the one who wrote um, Book Smart. Uh, that's Susanna Fogel, and she also directed The Spy Who Dumped Me, which is a surprising movie with a good amount of comedy and weird, like crazy action. Like as far as directing style, I, I feel like that fits my movie. And she obviously can write a very good movie in Book Smart. So that's kind of what I'm going for between tone uh, and writer. Uh, my Miles is going to be played by Jason Siegel. My Betty is going to be played by Mila Kunis. And then my rule, uh, Tucker, the ex who's going to be chasing them, is going to be re- resurrecting the career of Michael Bean, um, who has been done a surprisingly like small amount of things ever since he was a star back in like the 80s and, and early 90s. Um, and he just kind of popped up in an episode of Mandalorian, but he didn't do anything. So I'd like to actually give him a bigger role. 
So Miles is a high school liter literature teacher in Austin, Texas. He just received a yearly award for the best teacher in Texas, but is unhappy with his, his uh, teaching life in, the, in his hometown where he grew up. What he really wants to do is be an author, but lacks the confidence and has, has settled for an easier life um, and a with a steady income. When he gets home, thinking about his true passion, he kicks the wall uh, in frustration, breaking his toe. He goes to a specialist doctor named Betty, and they realize they went to the same high school only a few years apart. Um, and after hitting it off, they start dating. One day, Betty is informed that her convict ex-boyfriend, Tucker, has escaped from prison and that she may be in danger. This uh, And this was kind of like a sugar daddy weird situation back in the day. Like she was very young and got married to an older older man at the time kind of kind of deal. But I feel like Michael Bean would be kind of a menacing kind of guy. Um, so this forces them to flee Austin. Uh, at each stop, Tucker follows uh, in kind of some, like if you've seen the action scenes in this is kind of the only reason I wanted the spy who dumped me type stuff in there is because the action scenes that are actually pretty good for a, for a movie that is um, kind of just okay. Who is Michael Bean? Johnny is saying. Yeah. That, I don't, I looked him up, but it doesn't sound like someone who need, who ever had a career to resurrect. That is found the right person. That's not how you spell his name for one thing, but he is Kyle it's, Reese it's in no the Terminator. That is Kyle Reese in Terminator. Oh. He's in Aliens. He's Hicks in Aliens. Um, he's in Tombstone, The Rock. Like he was in stuff, and then he kind of just stopped, and then he popped up in, um, like he was a main star in a lot, or at least one of the big main stars for a while, and then kind of. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. my thing. I looked up Michael Bean spelled like B E A N, and it was some guy who is most famous for playing a waiter in some movie, and I was like, I can't have the right. Person. Okay. No, now I get right. Makes, Makes, Makes more sense. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Older guy convinced a young girl to, to marry him and he was abusive and then went to prison, escaped that whole deal. All right. Makes sense. Um, Makes sense. But during the trip, Miles basically learns to grow in confidence because it's the first time he leaves his hometown. So along the road trip, he's like, Oh, I can actually do this. Um, this is scary to me, but I like we're we're you know, he, he basically grows in confidence and learns to that's his changing as he wants to uh, he learns that he can do something that he's not, you know, that's not safe. Um, so basically this leads to at the end, him saying, we need to stop running. We need to stand up. And they come up with this plan to kind of trap Michael beans, Tucker character um, and take him down that, and lead him right into the uh, police station to get him arrested and back into prison and this gives him the confidence to become an actual author and writes his first book. So that's, there's my movie. Okay. Uh, Tom, right. what do you got? Okay. Um, so my director, uh, obviously my movie, my last rule is this is going to be set in the 1980s. Um, so my director is Stan uh, Dragati, who did Mr. Mom and the man with the one red shoe. Um, and uh, my Miles is played by Michael Keaton, who was in Johnny Dangerously and Mr. Mom. Um, Betty uh, is played by Kathleen Turner, who was in uh, Romancing the Stone and Pritzi's Honor. And Betty's ex-boyfriend uh, named Jack is played by Michael Douglas. My film will come out in 1987. That's my year that this movie came out. So um, Miles is a teacher at a school in Austin, Texas. He has always been happy living his routine life. Same breakfast every morning, same lesson plan every semester. His routine life is thrown off a bit when he meets the school's new dramatic arts teacher, Betty. Betty is a wild and is wild and adventurous, and fall and Miles falls in love with her almost immediately. 
While the school is off for a week uh, for spring break, Betty convinces Miles to break from her team and join her on a camping trip. Miles agrees, but things start to spin a little out of control um, from there when Betty's ex-boyfriend is released from prison and starts to chase them. So that's really all I wrote down because I was planning on actually having to fight um, the movie, so I had more to say, but that's my pitch. It's just like a fun 80s comedy, like Overboard. It would be like our parents' all favorite movie, Then that's the the movie I pitch because that's a, the best you could do with this plot um, to make it actually like a movie people saw, which Bobby didn't do. All right. All right. And so I say we, I have a question. I don't know if Tristan has a question. I say we ask our questions because I'm kind of tossed up right now and we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. You ask so, your question. And I'll, I'll see if I have anything. All right. So my question, and we'll start with uh, Johnny first since he didn't have a whole lot for his pitches. In the Tom Cruise version, there's a twist ending where it's revealed that Brian Cranston's character is uh, Miles' long-lost half-brother. Does yours have the same ending? Um, No. That sounds bad. It doesn't? Okay. Bobby, same question. No, it's not not, definitely not that. Uh, It's it's just a, you know, it's an ex that convinced her to marry an older guy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Michael Douglas is just a crazy dude. I think he works better for that character. Oh, also, by the way, my director, just for reference, she also did a lot with Utopia, which is a very good show. Right. She's a just she does a wide range of things. The fuck right, is Tristan, Utopia? did you have a question or you, Am I only question? Euphoria? Uh, Euphoria, that's what I meant. I said the wrong thing. Okay. There you go. Yeah, my only question was revolving around Reese Witherspoon's character from the original. I think that she's her performance is what makes the original pretty interesting. I think her fascination with Toes is such a bizarre quirk for a character. And then right at the end of the movie to have her run into that detective who is very fascinated with the fingers. And she calls him Mr. Fingers. And then her and Mr. Fingers kind of like have this potential sequel set up at the end. So I think she's a very fascinating character. She's the only part of the movie that I liked. So I'm kind of curious why you guys cut her character so differently in this movie. Why didn't you give her that quirky, quirky toe thing? Why didn't you really tribute her character at all? Well, for one thing, I actually did because remember he does break his toe and go see a specialist. She's still a doctor in that fashion and is still very quirky. Um, The Mr. Fingers thing I didn't quite do, but she's still the quirky obsessed with limbs and uh, digits type of person. So I didn't set up a sequel, but she's still pretty quirky. Yeah, again, mine's set up in the 80s, so it's not going to have an ending where she doesn't end up with the lead and is interested in some Mr. Fingers guy that was the worst part of the original and is not going to be in mine. But she is um, the uh, performance arts teacher, dramatic arts teacher, and she is a tap dancer, so she's always playing with her toes like in the in the car when they're going on the camping trip and stuff. So it does have, like a, I guess, what you would say a callback, but mine takes place obviously years earlier. So it has some references to toes because um, she is uh, or not a tap dancer, a ballet dancer. So she's always on her, on her toes, um, which are always sore and she's always playing with them and that's it. But I got rid of the terrible ending from the other movie where she doesn't actually just end up with the lead character. And ballet dancers toes are gross. So I don't really want to see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Justin, what are your toes? Toes are gross. That's the point. <laughs> no matter what. 
Tristan, what are your thoughts? Where are you leaning? What are you going with? Well, I'm glad I'm not the one who has to break the news to Bobby, but uh, I'm <laughs> I'm leaning a little bit towards Johnny on this one. Uh, Finally, God damn it! <laughs> I think he's the only one that you've done that with. I mean, I'm always on Bobby's side this episode. I feel like he had some interesting ones, but for this one, it's hard because the original is just not very good to begin with. So what you do from here is pretty much what you do. <laughs> but I just felt a little bit more attached to Johnny's. I know he's ran away with it already, so I'd hate to give him another point. But ultimately, it's not my call, so we'll see what Joe says and where the point ends up going. Uh, yeah, it's hard because... I mean, I like the fact that Bobby stuck more with the original, with keeping the mm-hmm. keeping her as a doctor. Uh, but I also don't like the fact that I haven't seen the Spy Who Dumped Me, but I saw the trailers, and that was enough for me to it's not be interested. You should actually—it's that's the whole thing. Like, I, I should have—if I had my argument, I would have explained it more. But Jen watched that, and I had no interest, and I was like, "This is directed surprisingly well, but it's just okay, I don't I, like the concept." But okay. regardless, that's fine. I, I don't know. I just feel like overall this didn't end well for Bobby. It was just like <laughs> that's fine. Harsh finale point. to the season here. Yeah, it's Johnny. I was hoping we would walk away with this episode with Johnny facing defeat, but that he got his biggest victory yet with a six to one. Because I, I feel like I have to go with the Michael Douglas, Michael Keaton, and what I can't remember yeah. her name. Kathleen Turner or Kathleen Turner, Turner Chandler Bing's mom. That's all I remember. Yeah. Okay, that was the first six one to victory ever in this show's history. That was a demolition. So, so, yeah, so. and I'm so pissed. I, I that should have been a sweet. I I that should have been a seven. Oh, my so, first one was so yeah. good. Yeah, just think how this episode went for me. I won the first fight. And it, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> That's brutal. That's like scoring the first goal and losing six so to, For complete honesty, I texted Joe earlier in the day because I I could not get myself to write these pitches. I felt so unmotivated for these movies. I'm like, I'm not going to tell Johnny this, but I feel terrible about my pitches today. It could go very bad. So then I texted the group. I'm like, I made some good pitches. <laughs> so, Yeah. I, I, I had, um, to, to give you some insight, Bobby, in this, I had really, really bad diarrhea all weekend, and it was the most miserable weekend of my life, and I didn't write any of my pitches until last night, and mine were all thrown together last minute. So oh, wow. I hope that makes you feel yeah. worse about it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I finished four of mine today, so that doesn't, that doesn't uh, yeah. Oh my God! Kidding. Yeah, no, this was the worst weekend of my life. I, I was in the bathroom every twenty minutes, and I had to do these pitches. I almost texted the group, and I was like, "I cannot do this this week," because I didn't think I'd make it through an episode. But I started feeling better this morning and finished my pitches. Literally, yeah, I wrote four last night and three this morning. Right. Yep, that was a uh, yeah, that was a beatdown. Yeah, that's why I copy pasted one of them because I I didn't have anything else to do. Tristan, what are your final thoughts? Uh, what was your favorite picture, Johnny's? What was your favorite picture, Bobby's? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. We had a lot of very similar pitches in a lot of these, and I think we also had some very different pitches. I honestly really liked uh, Johnny's pitch with the Wes Anderson uh, Pinewood Derby. I would have loved to see a, a Wes Anderson take on the actual story of it, but I, I, def- I really liked Wes Anderson's eye for that kind of a. So your favorite pitch of Johnny's is one you, you picked me to win. 
Yeah, I told you. He only picked you because he is going against me next time in season two. Opener, Tristan, Bree, Johnny Duke. What? And he only picked Bobby all episode because he I didn't think there were a lot of bad pitches in this one. I thought it was very close. Uh, you guys both said you came up with these at the last second, so maybe you guys both have, you know, last second brain. Because <laughs> I both I felt like a lot of these were on the same level, but I think I'm really excited for the next season. You know, honestly, I think season one ends with the rise of Johnny. He's up here being like the the villain of movie change up. Right. I feel like we've got to come right. here and take him down. So season two, I think right. we'll band together and, and knock Johnny down a peg. That's my goal. All right. Yeah. Now for me, I think. Uh... My, you know, I thought it was a, it was like closer than a six to one fight because there were some that was like 50 50, yeah. but I just think on Johnny for a lot of them. Uh, I, for sure, my favorite pitch of Bobby was the Gullisphere Rising, the Age of the Gnome Prince, just because, you know, I'm a big fan of like the Secret of Nims, the American Tale, Five Goes West. Like, the, it's more kind of where I lean as far as movies go. Uh, it's like animated movies, and then without a doubt, my favorite pitch of despite uh, all my rage was in the cold of the day. Oh, despite yeah. all my rage was good too, but in the cold of the day, because I was like kind of look because you know that was one of the ones that I picked, and I was kind of interested to, to see where you guys would go with it, and I really liked what uh, Johnny. That was it. a really good one. I forgot about that. And, that uh, was an impressive one. Yeah, yeah Bobby, what's your favorite pitch of uh, Johnny's? Uh, like I just said, I, I was guessing, trying to guess yours, but uh, despite all my rage, that was hard to fight. Like, we both pitched twists, and I'm like, Johnny actually pitched a twist, and I uh, wrote mine an hour ago and came up with my twist. So, um, yeah, I liked my movie. Like, if that was going against something that was not a twist, I feel like that mm-hmm. would have been a good pitch um, because it would have been a fun one. But Johnny actually came up with a really intriguing, like, backstory and, like, ending and, like, a good way to, to show a twist. So I like that. That was a good one. That Johnny. was my first pitch. That was my first pitch that I wrote that I was, like, I want to write a fucking script to this movie. Like, I want this movie to be made. Johnny, what was your uh, favorite pitch of Bobby's? Um, It's tough because, obviously, I crushed his soul. But I, I liked his – um. Mm, let me go through the movies real quick. I actually really liked his Despite All My Rage pitch. I, I thought if I didn't try so hard on mine, Bobby would have won that one because I really like um, the directors of Crank, uh, Neville Dean and, and Taylor. I've almost used them before for other action movies, but then I've gone in different directions because I feel like they're maybe easier to fight against because they haven't actually done yeah. good movies. They've just done fun action movies, but I'm very into the Crank movies. They've been on How Did This Get Made, and they're both super, super entertaining. They both make for great interviews. Um, it's it's easier to fight against them, like as far as this goes. But I'm entertained by their movies. But if I didn't have such a strong pitch for that, I think for sure Bobby would have won that one because that was a very sure. strong pitch. Um, and then again, yeah, Joe, I. Um, the two that I felt the strongest about going in were despite all my rage and in the cold of the day, I thought those two were for sure wins. Um, so I'm glad I won both of them. Um, but, but yeah, that yeah, was another one where it. if Johnny wasn't so strong, like Bobby could have easily won that one as well. Mm-hmm. Like I thought his pitch was good. It was just, I think Johnny's was just better. One into a powerhouse. 
Yeah, there were one or two where it felt like it was just you guys pitched the same movie, but one was just better version of the same movie. <laughs> and it was yeah. each other, uh, yeah, specifics of it, but ultimately I think it came down pretty easy on one side for a few of them. We wound up on the same rule choice like three times, I think. Yeah, yeah which uh, which has probably never been that many. But we had the same Vin Diesel. We had the yeah, same that was that was really surprising. I didn't think we'd match up on on like most of them. I thought maybe maybe Vin Diesel because I was like he's just a good guy, a villain yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then we matched up even like outside of rules. We matched up with the same directors for Link Skywalker. And um, we matched up with a lot of similar aspects of uh, in the cold of the day. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, any final thoughts? Not a lot. Looking forward to the next season. It was really fun to see you guys battle it out. You guys have clearly uh, been the all-stars of the Forgotten Movies compared to me and Joe just losing practically every episode. So it was, yeah. it was fun to have our last episode of the Forgotten Movies for a little bit be the all-stars finally battling it out and seeing Ultimately, one came out really far on top, but it was a fun finale. Yeah, that worked out well. Bobby, any final thoughts? Uh, I think I for for how I felt going into this, I think I came up with some, some pretty good pitches. So I'm looking forward to doing some uh, non-forgotten movies going forward. Um, Johnny is clearly like he's a very good arguer. So if we have very similar movies to him, it's very hard to go against him. He, you know, you're very thoughtful and argumentative. So I, I think we all got to step up our game, uh, everyone, all of us, to to try to beat Johnny going into this next season. Yeah, Johnny, any final thoughts? Final thoughts. I'm excited for season two. I'm excited to get back to um, uh, more well-known uh, uh, films. I think that will be will be good. I'm excited to face Tristan for the first time in that category, which will be our season opener, which um, is something that I, I think uh, the audiences, you know, no matter how big or small our audience are i think we'll be excited to see it'll be a good fight the only match i've ever thought i was going to lose um was uh my own my only match against tristan in forgotten movies i thought that one could have gone either way basically it down to a, yeah it was it was uh, uh a 50 50 shot basically like a 51 49 on like the last movie um, when we faced each other so i think it i think it'll go um I think it'll go well as far as the season opener goes. It'll be a uh, a powerhouse of a of an episode, and, and I'm excited for that. And other than that, again, my top 100 movies of the decade. Um, I need to update because I've seen a couple movies since then. I'm going to just continue to to add and uh, delete movies off there um, as the time goes on. But that is available on Letterboxd and on my Twitter account. That is my pinned tweet at jduke2393 on both Twitter and uh, Letterboxd. If you want to find that list. Really yeah, also, uh, yeah also uh follow us at movie changeup on you know twitter instagram and tiktok and like we said we got uh and also we got a live comment uh paul 220 <laughs> says i'm glad forgot movies is over aren't we all no. that, for now. yeah for now we all got burnt out on it i think but joe i think we have something yeah, else to do that, season one is over uh we're looking forward to season two uh, it's going to be a little bit different. It's basically going to be us for week after week. Uh, we're going to have a new category, I think, every other week. And people are going to face off. And then the next week, the judges are going to face off. And the previous contestants are going to judge. And uh, me and Bobby texted today, and we're ready to reveal. Uh, and we don't have an episode next week. We have an episode in two weeks, me and 
Bobby Talk today, and we're ready to reveal uh, the season two premiere movies. Uh, right now, the movies and the rules, we're going to reveal them to Johnny and Tristan for the first time and to the audience. So the rules, and and because it's the season two premiere, the category that Johnny thought of uh, was going to be movies with either two T-O, two T-O-O, or two T-W-O in the title. And so these are the seven movies. Too Fast, Too Furious from 2003. Coming to America from 1988. Jungle to Jungle from 1997, Hard to Kill from 1990, How to Train Your Dragon from 2010, The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1956, and Troll 2 from 1990. And Bobby, oh, if you have yeah. rules. Our rules are, one must include the Joker, one must be cast as a 1970s movie, one must include the Sprouse Twins, one must include only Star Wars actors, one must be a Martin Scorsese movie. What, you must resurrect a director's career for one. And one must be a musical. Oh, I love that last right. one. Well, you know, I'm all here for that. That's your tease. Well, for I hope you guys week. watch Flight of the Concords in the next two weeks. <laughs> Check out <laughs> Troll 2 before you come back. That's definitely the must-watch movie of the lineup right there. Yeah, that's I thought we agreed real quick before we end this. I thought we agreed no more animated movies ever 